Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Duel of the Takes. My name's Nathaniel Martin, and I am joined by my regular co-hosts, Joshua Kubis and Alden Mason. Today, we are talking Batman villain Mount Rushmore, looking through all of the Batman villains that have ever existed in, uh, I guess, any medium besides the comics. So you could talk video games, TV shows, movies, or whatever. But the three of us aren't enough. We are joined by a pair of Johns, regular uh, co-panelist John Sekula, as well as friend of the show, John Peralski. What up? No one could say John in this episode. Yeah, no Johns allowed. It is Sakula and and Padowski. So uh, yeah, Josh, you kind of created this format. We did it for uh, the Christmas uh, TV specials. Uh, what were your major takeaways from the last time we tried this out? I thought it went very well. Two out of uh, my four Mount Rushmores made the final, and uh, I'm hoping that will continue. I Wait, because you win, you think it went well? Yes. What if you didn't win anything? <laughs> It would have been a dead format. Alden, how are you feeling today, man? Uh. <laughs> All right. How was Revenge of the Sith, Alden? Oh, terrible as always. I'm going to start things off today. We're just going to go in the order I have on this spreadsheet. So it'll be me, Josh, Peralski, Alden, and then Sekula. You'll take up the rear. We've got 20 Batman villains to talk about today. So this should get spicy. Uh, normally, I'd like to start an order on my Mount Rushmore's, but I'm just going to go with one of my more out there and wild picks. For my Thomas Jefferson, my, uh, my pick is... Calendar Man from The Long Halloween. Nice. Nice. Calendar Man in The Long Halloween. I'm, I'm mostly specifically talking about the animated movie, the Warner Brothers animated. He's got about two and a half minutes of screen time, I'd say, but he's voiced by Alden. <laughs> <laughs> Polka Dot Man from the Suicide Squad movie with James Gunn. I really like this portrayal of Calendar Man because it leaves a lot to the interpretation. And specifically, if they wanted to continue and do like a Batman movie about Calendar Man, this adaptation that they set up is really, really good. He's kind of confined to Arkham. He's surrounded by a bunch of calendar dates in his in his cell. And the dude's a criminal and the dude's in Arkham for a reason, but he's not necessarily an antagonist. He kind of helps Batman figure out what the hell's going on with Joker and all the other shit that's going on. And he's he's the type of criminal that is smart enough to see what all the other criminals are doing and has this network of people in prison working with him. He's also very similar. I almost went with Calendar Man from the Arkham uh, Knight. Yeah. Because he's the same kind of vibe, but I like the way that this one looks and talks better because the way that Calendar Man should be done is like kind of... Essentially, just make him Kevin Spacey from Seven. Yeah. That's really the best way to do uh, uh, Calendar Man. And I feel like this was, like, the perfect little tease into that. And I think that that would be a great arc for a year one or year two Batman of shutting down this big-time serial killer. I think if he was more of a well-known comic book character, it would be the perfect villain to throw into this movie that's coming out this weekend, The Batman. Especially in context of who Calendar Man is in the Long Halloween story arc. It is a year, and so the whole time during, at least both in the comic and I think throughout the two-part film, you have that perspective of, did he do it? Which, of course, and spoiler alert, he doesn't do it, and neither ad adaptation. But <laughs> uh, you have that perspective of like, 
oh, this killer takes place on holidays. It's got to be the calendar guy, but he's just locked up and they're doing that whole Hannibal Lecter kind of thing where they're going up to him and asking him questions the whole time about the case and then he's all being all creepy and polka dot man like and all like, well, what about the seventh day of the seventh day of the seventh day? I like your pick, Nate. I think one problem I have with some of the more recent adaptations is they tried too hard to give everyone this like gritty and edgy backstory. And I, I think uh, that has a lot to do with some of the on-screen portrayals they've had in the past, you know, 15, 20 years with these uh, characters. And I feel like Calendar Man is one where his original origins are so, like, goofy, where it makes sense to kind of make him uh, this, like, edgier kind of serial killer stand-in. I feel like that's a villain archetype we haven't really seen Batman in a mainstream movie have to tackle and I also don't think he's, like, a big baddie either. Like, the, a fight scene between him and Batman would go one way, but in the same way of, like, a good Riddler portrayal, this would be more of a series of mysteries and puzzles and something that I like the most out of Batman. You get to see him be a detective. Josh, on to you. What do you have? I'm going to start out with my George Washington one. I was going to start out with a hot take, but I think I'm going to leave that a little later. Just want to get this man on the conversation, because it's a bit controversial. My George Washington is a joker, but the specific joker is from Batman 1989, played by Jack Nicholson. Hey, solid. That is controversial. Like a classic. I'm a fan of the classics, what can I say? Uh, so you mean this in context that like this is your pinnacle, the Batman villain? This is the best Joker. Uh, in the context, what I specifically um, love about Batman cinema, yes. Maybe he won't be brought up, but I'm sure somebody will bring up Heath Ledger and he will be compared to... But what I personally like that makes Jack Nicholson my favorite is the um, what they tr what Tim Burton tried to do with that. Where at the time Burton was just like, "Fuck it, these are my movies. I'm gonna do what I want." And to change the origin, kinda uh, to have <laughs> spoiler alert for a 40 year old movie, it was revealed that Joker was the one who killed Batman's parents. Um, I thought was really cool and how important that movie is to cinema was a thing that was brought in and also like my parents like think the canon is that Joker was the one who did it like there there's a whole generation of people that like just think that's just the lore of Batman they're straight up wrong <laughs> that's what I think's great about it like Tim Byrne was just like no I'm gonna make my Batman movie and I think Jack Nicholson's betrayal is awesome I think I think it's become underrated I think he was praised for the role when it came out but as we've had multiple Jokers after that people are like oh he's just playing Jack Nicholson sure but J Jack Nicholson was the perfect man to play the Joker at the time. Yeah, I think he brings the same amount of prestige to the role as, like, Gene Hackman doing Lex Luthor in, like, the original Superman movie. Exactly. Like, they, they, they kind of stunt-casted a really well-known actor, and he made that character his own. And sure, a lot of that's Tim Burton's writing and directing, but yeah, no. I love Jack Nicholson's portrayal of the Joker, even if it's not the most, like, comic book accurate. It, it stayed with an entire generation of people, and until Heath Ledger came around, everyone, like, saw that as the on-screen Joker. Also, I love the Joker's goons in it. That was a big part of it as well. The fashion, too, dude. Yes. Party Man, that whole museum scene, one of the best scenes in any Batman movie. Definitely peak Joker fashion. 
And in context of like the Killing Joke coming out in '88, where that has the that's one of the first times that Joker's origin story was really explored and put him in the Red Hood gang and all of that stuff. There's that interview with Tim Burton who's like, "Yeah, I don't ever read comics." So on the front of the special edition of Killing Joke, it's a it's a Tim Burton quote like, "This is one of my favorite comics." He's like. I don't read comics, so that's just a lie. <laughs> What's known to be the Joker origin of him being Red Hood and falling into the acid, and just a year later in the Tim Burton version, them making him a classic gangster who then falls into the acid and gets this portrayal of Joker. And I always, I love the version of Jack Nicholson being that classic gangster because in the DC animated universe, it's technically in canon to the Tim Burton movies, that's why the when he meets Joker, Penguin, and Catwoman, uh, it's not the first time he's meeting them, but every other character in the show it is. I didn't know that. I didn't know that the um, that, that was canon to the DCE. Uh, because that's what got the show greenlit, was the success of Batman 89. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. The Joker goons' names are Lawrence and Bob. Shout out to them. One of them's Jack Nicholson's friend, right? Uh, the right-hand man that he kills at, like, the end? Yeah. Yeah, Bob did, like, two movies ever, and they're both just co-star roles with Jack Nicholson. Like, I think he was just some, like, stuntman or, like, grip or something that Jack Nicholson had hung out with and was like, all right, cool, you're my henchman. My homie. <laughs> Another great pick. This whole list is gonna be great picks. It's freaking Batman. Well, maybe not. It's your turn, Peralski. What are you picking? Hold your tongue. <laughs> Since we're going all over the place with our different presidential elections over here, I uh, am going to pick a different one as well. And I'm going to pick uh, Abraham Lincoln. Okay. He was not a Batman villain. Damn. <laughs> Shit, his whole list is ruined. <laughs> Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter. Um, For my Abraham Lincoln pick, I put Harvey Dent Two-Face from... The DC animated universe. Oh. Classic. Love this portrayal. Love this origin story of Two-Face in the DC animated show. The way they have him, of course, infiltrating the Rupert Thorns gang and everything. Trying to take out the criminal underworld of Gotham. Being at the wrong place at the wrong time. And a bunch of guns going off. And then <laughs> explosion. And then Harvey... No, and then <laughs> Harvey's all scarred because of some explosion with some acid. And what the DC animated uh, universe that started with 92's uh, Batman the Animated Series created with these tragic backstories for villains is kind of wild that it's a kid's show. And they dive so deep, especially with these other picks that I have. I could, I'm one of them. I'm going to dive way deeper into. He was friends with Bruce Wayne, like how he was in the comics. They did end up going to uh, boarding school together at some point while Bruce would sneak out and train. Bruce and Harvey have that tight relationship, especially when Jim Gordon wasn't a huge fan of Batman at the time. And Harvey Dent being the DA pushing the agenda of like, hey, I know he's a vigilante and I'm supposed to lock him up, but he's really the only good guy. And especially when you look at other portrayals of Harvey Dent, like Tommy Lee Jones, I'm kidding, like Aaron Eckhart, um, you look at those portrayals and you see there's that influence like Nick Alexander from the Scary Box always says to me, he's like, he had to watch these animated movies, right, guys? Like... 
look at the influence. Like, if you look at the influence of these portrayals, really, the, the animated show just shifted so many different characters. And I think the way they started with Harvey in the show was smooth and beautiful and tragic and perfect and beautiful and smooth and tragic. I think my biggest problem with the DCAU's take on Harvey Dent is kind of how like out of order it's presented. Like pretty much they established Two-Face right away and then we get more stuff down the line of like before he became Two-Face and like with Harvey Dent, but yeah. they didn't know that that show was going to be as successful as it was and continue so many things down the line. But what they do, like, as a as an arc, if you were to watch chronologically instead of, like, as it was released, um, it, it's great. I, I, lo I love this take on Harvey Dent. It's probably the best blend of comic book accurate and blending its own take and creating a new character or a new arc. And the design is gorgeous. The design's good. The redesign for New Adventures where they made it smoother so it's not, you know, easier to animate, but, like... The classic design of it, so good. Harvey Dent, can we twist him? All right, Alden, what's your first take here? I'm scared. I'm trying to choose. I think I'll go with my safe answer for now. All right, what's your safest one? My safest one is my Washington, and I'm going to say Joker in the Dark Knight, specifically. Solid, fair. We expected it, we knew it was gonna happen. We knew this was coming. There it is. I didn't expect it from Alden's dumbass. <laughs> Shed a little bit onto why Heath Ledger's portrayal as Joker in The Dark Knight is the, the George Washington of Batman villains. I feel like Washington is probably the most known historical president like on the mountain. And that definitely is true for the Joker just in general. But I think The Dark Knight is kind of probably the, the most known media for Batman. In terms of all of that, and everyone compares any other Joker to him, always. And it's funny because people didn't want him to be Joker at first. The same thing with, like, Michael Keaton. But I think Heath Ledger being in 2008 where, yeah, social media wasn't as huge as maybe it is today. But at the same time, there was just so much backlash. Like, I didn't see Dark Knight in theaters. I saw it on DVD after it came out. But, like... That movie, I remember being that young and just people hating that Heath Ledger was cast as Joker. And me being young and dumb, I was like, why? And then as I got older, I was like, they were mad because the guy from Brokeback Mountain was playing Joker? Like, that was what the big deal was? <laughs> like, really? It was almost as big of a controversy as when uh, Daniel Craig got cast as uh, James Bond, and they were like, what are you talking about? James Bond has blonde hair and blue eyes. This can't be acceptable. Oh, yeah. Wait, yeah. No, that's a good point, Alden, that he really is that pinnacle portrayal of that's the one who everybody references. And I think for better or worse, since this casting decision, I feel like every Batman villain we've gotten put on screen since has had to live up to this to some capacity or another. I know Nolan is a base lord and was like, uh, we're just going to have Tom Hardy be Bane. But like, I feel like in the wake of the DCEU and and the Suicide Squad and Suicide Squad, it was like, OK, we need we need to get these like actual talented actors to play a Batman villain and. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. I think the most direct line I can see from Heath Ledger's Joker to what we're getting now is like Paul Dano as the Riddler is not a casting choice that I think would exist in any other timeline except in a post-Dark Knight Joker timeline. Also, I just saw a bunch of cringy TikToks the other day of people trying to act all sexy and hot 
while reading the Joker lines and doing his whole <laughs> tongue licking thing, Ew. but they overdo it always because Heath Ledger does it in the movie, but it's never as exaggerated as you see on like those YouTube videos or TikToks because well he was doing it to keep the makeup on his face, licking his lips <laughs> like the cultural change of that character changed so much after that movie as well. Like we live in a society. <laughs> How many people, like, that was their Halloween costume that year. Uh, the His entrance is iconic. The, I'm going to make this pencil disappear. Like, so many quotable lines, scenes. The Dark Knight is great. I know someone who has been Heath Ledger's Joker for Halloween since the movie came out. Every single year without... That's like 12 years. 12 years of Joker. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think in terms of the design, they borrow a lot from The Crow, which is one of my all-time, as you as you all know, one of my all-time favorite <laughs> superheroes. So I, I dig the look of the Joker as well. I don't think it's as cool and fashion-forward as uh, as Jack Nicholson's. Jack Nicholson was, like, the 90s. Like, I know it came out in 89, but, like, Batman was almost rolled up in Air Force Ones. Josh, to that point, you're exactly right where you look at, uh, you look at the portrayal of Heath Ledger's Joker where like that to me defines like the 2000 to 2010s villains. Yeah, it's like late 2000s. Yeah, this is the housing crisis villain. It's he literally burns money just like the housing crisis. I'm only burning my half. (laughs) (laughs) Some men just want to watch the economy burn. That's that's a line that should have been in the big short. (laughs) Sekula. To you, uh, let's have you pick a Batman villain to put on the Rushmore. Personally, I think that you guys have been picking uh, two safe options. Um, so I'm here to add some chaos, just a little bit. <laughs> and uh, in the spirit of uh, you know continuously picking different presidents and not going in order, uh, I'm picking my Teddy Roosevelt, uh, which I have as uh, Danny DeVito Penguin. Oh, nice. I can't compare him to any Penguin that has ever been put to media before, except maybe the Arkham Penguin. In animated DC, he's always just like, but none of like the flair, none of the flair. It's just like short fat dude. Maybe my opinion will change with the, what is it? Tom Hardy. Is it Tom Hardy in the new one? Oh, Colin Farrell. Even more of a ridiculous choice. (laughs) Um, Yeah, they got him in prosthetic makeup to look exactly like Richard Kind for some reason. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) one of my main reasons why i love this portrayal of penguin is because i'm a slut for uh like like uh versions of characters or characters in movies and tv that have affected uh cinema as a whole and similar to how like uh uh temple of doom changed uh like the es or not the esrb what's the rating system for films the mpaa that's the one those fuckers it's similar to how like that movie was like it was selling indiana jones toys but then kids were going to see the movie and it was like a guy shoving his hand through another guy's chest and ripping out his heart and it was like like children were just crying and screaming wasn't it like mcdonald's got mad at tim burton or something yeah in, in in Batman Returns, they literally, like, kids were going in there like, ah, oh, yeah, I'm going to go see my, my new Batman movie. Hell yeah. And then it, you see this fucking grotesque, like, monstrous, he's, he's disgusting, he looks like he always has hypothermia, and that he's leaking black goo from his mouth all the time. Black's just always coming out of his mouth. <laughs> like, he's just disgusting, 
and gross, and Danny DeVito plays that perfectly because he is disgusting and gross. It might be one of Danny DeVito's best performances, like, no joke. It's like one flew over the cuckoo's nest, and then penguin. He fully commits to it, and it, it's just so solid. For me, that's like the definitive version of the penguin. They haven't even attempted to do a live-action penguin since. Well, Gotham. <laughs> We're not talking about that fucking mess. <laughs> uh, the only other one that I like is the one in Arkham, where he's like, uh, he's got like a like a the bottom part to like a fucking Coke bottle just like shoved into his eye, but he doesn't really get much characterization. He just has a cool design. Uh, this is by far one of my favorite Batman villains, just like to look at, to watch, to think about. I hope we get the Iceberg Lounge soon live action. That would be a cool set piece. Well, he says it in the in one of the 20,000 TV spots for this new movie that just is like, oh, here's like 40 minutes of the film, guys. <laughs> when he's talking to Jeffrey Wright in the newest clip they released when he punches Commissioner Gordon in the face... Uh, he's, they're talking about how a bunch of those officers were at the, he was like, I was at the iceberg lounge the other day <laughs> and there were all, all those officers are in with penguin. And then he's like, what? And then he punches him and runs away. It's great. Why is Warner brothers so desperate with the marketing of this movie? It's not like people aren't going to see it. Yeah. I don't know what they're afraid of. I, I, I my favorite, uh, marketing for this new movie off topic um, is the Little Caesars collaboration where they had a bat shape. The bat pizza. And of course, the bat NFT that Alden will get. Is there, is, you're, see, you could say that to me and I would believe you. Like, is there a bat NFT? <laughs> yeah, if you, if you go opening night. IMAX is releasing it. If you go to an IMAX screening, you get it. That uh, that makes me sad. <laughs> so far, we've all placed uh, one of our... Uh, Rushmore's uh, nominations. We're going back around for round two, and I think I'm going to do my Abraham Lincoln now. I've got Red Hood, specifically from Under the Red Hood. Oh, good one. Obviously, one of the strongest uh, Batman villains when it comes to the emotional impact this character has with Bruce Wayne slash Batman himself. For those who aren't familiar, Red Hood is the like the alias that Joker originally went by. Uh, at least in the co the canon and in the context of this movie. So Joker originally was Red Hood. And then years later, after Jason Todd is brutally killed in The Killing Joke, which isn't necessarily connected to this movie, but it, it is. Death of the Family. Yeah, Death of the Family. Thank you. Said the wrong one. But in uh, Under the Red Hood, this villain randomly reappears. And Batman knows for sure it's not the Joker. So he's trying to figure out who it is. And I think this has one of the best emotional payoffs in any uh, Batman uh, adaptation from any material. He learns that this this new cause, this new source of chaos in his life is a direct failing of not only uh, him as a as a hero and as a vigilante when he let his uh, partner die, but also a fault in his own moral system of not being able to kill the person who killed his his you know, adopted son in some capacity. Jason Todd's take on Red Hood. There have been a couple others as well. And um, the, but this specific iteration of Red Hood is the strongest emotional connection I think Batman has ever had to an antagonist. And I also think it's really interesting that this character is not a full villain. At the end of the day, he thinks he's doing what's what's right. And in the context of the movie is he's doing simply what Batman can't do. It's great. It's fucking amazing. Jensen Ackles voices him in the movie, and I just think 
It's so good. The most I've ever liked him in anything. It's literally perfect voice casting. Speaking, because you also have a long Halloween pick and Jensen Ackles voices Batman in that. I think it's cool because it's not like it's just him. You know, uh, same thing with like a lot of voice actors that you see in these animated movies or the video game. Like Nolan North does the Penguin's voice in the video game, but... It's not necessarily you go, oh, that's Nolan North right away, you know. Uh, Jensen Ackles as uh, Red Hood is so good where you could feel that teenage angst from Anakin Skywalker in there, you know, where, why didn't you just kill him and love me? And then, you know, all that stuff. But I that's such a good movie. And especially it came out in 2010, only uh, six years after the comic book came out for it, which... Once again, Jason Todd in the comics was dead for almost 30, 20 years at that point. Almost 20 whole years. They kill off a Robin because the audience hates him so much. And then he's he appears in Hush as uh, Hush uh, as Clayface was disguised as Hush, who was then disguised as Jason back from the dead, which then sparked the creativity to create the Under the Red Hood storyline. And now Under the Red Hood is... One of a super popular Batman villain. I think any Batman fan knows of Red Hood, and that would have never happened if that animated movie didn't come out, honestly, because so many people I know have seen that movie, even if they haven't seen any other DC animated movie. I think it's the best DC animated movie in my opinion i mean there well there's also like mask of the phantasm which is great but that feels so much more connected to the show and it's oh yeah the canons yeah but in terms of like in this straight to dvd world that we live in under the red hood is an entire tier above almost everything else including the long halloween part one and two which i also love um and i think a lot of that just comes down to the writing and comes down to the stuff that they lifted directly from a really ballsy comic book arc and uh, though the red hood in my in my impression fully redeemed Jason Todd as this character that fans initially hated and is now like the ultimate edge lord like i love this <laughs> character type thing like he he did exactly what uh, Nightwing did in his like grittier runs and did the same things that like everyone's always wanted from a Robin to turn against Batman in some capacity and what I think is so great about Jason Todd is uh, specifically as Red Hood is his moral uh, guidance has completely fallen away from what Batman stands for but he's still trying to go for the same objectives and he still wants the same end result and I think it creates such an interesting duality within Batman and within Bruce Wayne's psyche we've seen other characters try to do that as well um, unfortunately, with the large amount of marketing material that the Batman has, it sounds like they're trying to do something similar to that with Catwoman. I don't know how that's going to pan out, but it seems like there's always this this spectrum of the people that Batman fights alongside that have a slightly different view on moral principles than him. And this is my favorite take on that to date. Slightly off topic, but you were talking about like the best animated Batman movies. I've never heard anybody's takes on uh, The Dark Knight Returns 1 and 2. I think those movies are great. They're fine. Yes. They're some of my favorites, personally. I don't like the source material, necessarily. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. I, I love the movies, but like I've never been a huge fan of the Returns era of the, of the comic slash movies. I like designs and elements. Yeah, the same guy who wrote that wrote Year One. 
And I love year one, both the movie and the comic. So it's kind of like you look at it that way and you're like, well, I don't know. And you got to look at the influence from uh, the Dark Knight Returns, both the comic and the movie, where we had a half-assed portrayal of it in Batman v Superman. It was like such a watered down version. All I remember is the announcement when they came out on stage at San Diego Comic-Con and just read the monologue that Bruce gives to Superman. I want you to remember the one man who beat you. Then all the lights went out and the screen showed the bat symbol with the Superman logo. And I was like, oh my God, it's happening. Oh man, that movie should have been good. And that came out right before Civil War. So it's like, oh, they, uh. they felt like they had to compete with that. And it's like, you, didn't, you don't. Probably the worst arc to try to introduce a new Batman. Batman, though. Not gonna lie. I love Ben Affleck as Batman. He's not bad. I don't like him. We'll talk about him next week when we build our Batmans. Josh, what is your next nomination on the Mount Rushmore? I'm gonna go with my Teddy Roosevelt, a villain from the Dark Knight trilogy, uh, specifically the Dark Knight Rises, Oh. played by Tom Hardy. Yes, I'm picking him. It's Bane. I'm glad somebody did. Let me explain. <clears throat> All right, Bane in the Dark Knight Rises. So, in the first movie, you had the origin of Batman. So, of course, you're going to do Ra's al Ghul. Second movie, you introduce the Joker, Batman's most notable villain. Of course, plans were kind of up in the air for the third movie. And I think what Christopher Nolan does, I think, was perfect. What do you do when you've had somebody that's mentored Batman and then somebody, and then the second movie, you had somebody that psychologically went at Batman. Now you have to go after Batman physically. And that's exactly what Bane brought. And I think the way Nolan uh, d decided to do the Bane character a lot differently, he's not this luchador wrestler um, that was an experiment. Uh, he connected him to the uh, League of Shadows. I think all that was great. The fight with him and Batman in the weird sore lair whatever is one of my favorite Batman fights ever. Uh, I like that he is in the shadows much like Batman, but he's just a little bit better. And the amount of things that Batman has to overcome in order to go after Bane again. Do I think the ending was a little meh? Little bit of a bra moment? Yeah, but that's not the character Bane's fault. So I think Bane has a place here on my Mount Rushmore of... It's looking like my Mount Rushmore of underrated Batman villains. I, I agree. I, I was, I was going to put this one on my list. He's like a, on the short list for like if I, uh, if I found something that you guys put that was like too close or too... But I'm glad that you said this one because I really do agree. I, his portrayal of Bane is really good. Um, and then, like, the, the the backstory they give him. And, and, you know, I'm not, like, super into... Like, I don't know a whole lot about the comics, but the, the, the version of Bane that I'm coming from to this version is the one from uh, Batman and Robin, where he's, like, a weird... Like, he's, like, a weird nerd, and then they just, like, give him, like, superpowers, and he just turns into a big, dumb, roided-up idiot. And I, as a kid, I loved that. I thought it was so weird and cool. And then, and then they actually do, like, an interesting thing with him. Um, and make him like an even like a, a fleshed out character and then I was like oh shit Bane can be really cool and not just like a goon with big muscles and say what you want too about like it not being like a good take on the character which I, I think it is a weird stance to have because Bane I mean if Bane's your favorite comic book character then you have a problem <laughs> them doing uh, what they do with Bane in this movie and giving him like some of the coolest action set pieces and probably the most phys 
physically intimidating villain in the entire trilogy. The the opening scene, which has been memed to high hell, is an incredible set piece. And then the fucking, when he takes over the football game. Oh, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Arguably the best halftime show of all time. Blows up the Pittsburgh Steelers Stadium, baby. Tom Hardy's voice. And, I mean, Bane does exact... I was born in the darkness. And in the movie, Bane does exactly what the Joker was talking about in The Dark Knight. When the chips are down, these civilized people will go after each other and that's exactly what bane did he he made the chips go down and what did the city of gotham do panic i dislike the portrayal of talia ghoul in that movie we're not talking about that <laughs> but what they do with bane in that movie is very similar to in 96 they had the batman bane of the demon which is a comic book that bat bane and talia are fighting cobra and then they go and seek Ra's al Ghul and Talia being the daughter of Ra's al Ghul is all like, this guy's pretty cool. And then Ra's being all pissy that Batman doesn't want to be heir to the throne of the demon or whatever is all like, Bane is now the heir and my successor. And a lot of inf- what I always took away from the Dark Knight Rises movie was it just felt so much like that comic run where like Ra's al Ghul is like Bane's going to be the next one who's supposed to bring back balance to the world and everything like he's all weird and does and says instead of Batman. And I, I just I always took that away from the portrayal in The Dark Knight Rises where I was like, it seems more influenced rather than the classic version of Bane and everything to the ver- more modern version, the late 90s version of where this is going to be the guy who's the heir to the demon. When movies uh, remake comic covers, so seeing Bane actually break Batman's back was was great. Th- there's things definitely wrong with that whole movie that I just, you know, brush off because I'm like, it's a Batman movie, who cares? But at the same time, it's like, when they do the Nightfall break, I'm like, oh, that was, I just, that's all I wanted. Ever since the first trailer came out and they're like, Bane's in this, I'm like, all right, I hope they break his back. <laughs> like, that's all I wanted, man. Yeah, I feel like the cultural staying power of Bane in The Dark Knight Rises warrants a spot on the Mount Rushmore, at least on one of the iterations of a Mount Rushmore that we're making here, just because, like, even to this day, there's still memes with Bane. It's been almost almost a decade. Yeah. Perolsky, what is your next uh, nomination, the next head on your Mount Rushmore? I'm going to loop back around to another DC animated universe care. For my Thomas Jefferson, I'm going to put Andrea Beaumont, the Phantasm. Oh. From the DC animated universe. Okay. Uh, this character was created by Alan Burnett and Paul Dini and designed by Bruce Timm. The classic three-piece, the, the heads behind... The animated series, at least a little bit of writing and uh, artistic wise. The Phantasm, of course, makes her appearance in the movie Mask of the Phantasm. Oh, spoiler, uh, it's a girl. (laughs) The Phantasm was such a dark and evil and mysterious character. At least as a kid watching that movie, I was always like mind blown that it ended up being Andrea Beaumont. Of course, re-watching it as an adult, I'm like, probably going to be her because it does the problem. What a lot of comics do is you introduce a brand new character the same time you introduce a brand new villain. And you're like, oh, that's who that is. 
But what I think is so perfect about the movie Mask of the Phantasm is it's an origin movie. And once again, in context of the animated series being greatly influenced by the Burton movies, having a slight canon to them, it it's showing the origin story. And the whole point of the film is showing how Bruce is like, I'm going to give up on taking revenge or having vengeance for my parents' death because I found happiness. I have a purpose now. I found somebody to live for. And Andrea Beaumont being part of a mobster family, everything gets taken away from Bruce again. And then she comes back after the mob kills her father and tries to wipe out the whole mob as the phantasm. But I I think it's such a great portrayal because you have the version of the character that this is what Bruce would give up Batman for then literally comes back to haunt him and he now has to deal with it. And she is mentioned again throughout the animated universe as Amanda Waller's plan in the Justice League Unlimited episode was to clone Bruce Wayne and have the Phantasm kill this clone's parents. And it's shown in that episode because that's how she creates Terry McGinnis who is Batman Beyond, and originally it was going to be uh, the Phantasm who murdered his parents, and so she makes an appearance in that episode. And it's kind of like, holy crap, and it's like they all reconnected everything. No, I think she's a pinnacle villain. Um, I put her in uh, Thomas Jefferson because she's kind of a bitch, so... um, (laughs) I, I think it's a really good villain, and it's that Catwoman complex, but put shoved into the animated universe and not in context of the Tim Burton films, which is how that Catwoman was influenced by. I do like Mask of the Phantasm a lot, but it does feel very self-contained. Like it feels like it's this one thing that is wholly original to the DC animated uh, run. Uh, and it, it's interesting, too, because the, the character, the, the design of it is so removed from the emotional consequences of the, the relationship. But it's really well done. It, it, it's probably standalone one of the better animated movies. But you're right. It does fall into that trope of, oh, let's introduce a new character, give it this really big backstory and tie to Bruce Wayne. And then, oh, surprise, they're the villain. But it does it well. It does it, it does it in an interesting way. And I I remember the first time watching this one as a kid, too. Like, my mind was blown. I was like, how could it be her? Especially in context of that movie and thinking of how many times you have the same Catwoman story shown over and over again. I think looking back on that movie and doing it, it watching that movie you're like oh this is pretty good also the warner execs at the time were losing their minds so the animated series was created it was the first animated show under the warner brothers name after steven spielberg was like let's make animaniacs and then created the whole warner brothers animation department what happened was they go and they make this movie because this is super early on still this is right when the animated series started they start working on this movie And next thing you know, they're all like, oh, let's release this in theaters. You know, the same year that Nightmare Before Christmas comes out. And the movie made no money at all in the movie theaters because it's uh, you watch this movie and you're like, come, we don't have animated movies like that come out in theaters, especially nowadays. What was Warner thinking? And because of the failure of Batman Mask of the Phantasm in the box office is the reason they never released a feature length 
2D animated movie in theaters again. They did a one day run with Killing Joke, but like, yeah, that's not a theater release. That Ugh. Yeah, I was at that Fathom event. I was there. Mask of the Fathom event. Alden, to you, what are you nominating onto the Mount Rushmore? I think it's time to get a little controversial. Uh, I'm going to pick my Lincoln. Uh-oh. Not a whole lot of connection to Lincoln, but that is Ratcatcher. Okay. Or Otis Flanagan. And if you want me to get specific, which I don't want to, I just want the character in general, but specifically Batman Beyond. Oh. Oh. Interesting. Alden doing something? And why Ratcatcher from Batman Beyond? I believe it's a different person, right? Because I, I think his name is Patrick Fitz rather than Flanagan or whatever. Well, I'd hope so, because then he'd be old as shit. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rat Boy. Rat Boy, that's him, yeah. The teenage runaway with rat-like features which made him live in the sewers. Eventually, he became an enemy of Batman Beyond. He carries around a hockey stick. He looks like uh, Casey from TMNT. He's Casey and Splinter mixed into one character. <laughs> what more could you want? And wh why Ratcatcher? What do you think that Ratcatcher brings to the Mount Rushmore that other villains don't? Uh, I think rats, as an animal, get a bad rap. Like, they're definitely cooler than we give them credit for. Then why wasn't Ratatouille winning the Pixar episode, Alden? French people, Josh. It's <sighs> a good point. I don't know. I really like the idea of the character, and I also like his daughter that was created for the Suicide Squad, I guess. She was great. I hate this. This is so cursed. Um, cool. Well, as a New York resident, I think I might have the most experience with rats. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ratman lives in the, in the subways, doesn't he? Over there? I had a nightmare about rats last night in New York. <laughs> Maybe they're living in your walls. Ratcatcher's coming to get Sakula. For some reason, I was riding around like a little go-kart through the streets in New York, and then I made a turn in like ten- I was like in- I was like in Midtown, and then I realized it was going really slow, and I thought the battery was dying, and then I looked down, and there's just like hundreds of dead rats just like stop slowing down my go-kart, and I was like, what the fuck is happening? This is terrifying. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of symbolism in that dream, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> Alright, so, uh, yeah, Ratcatcher nominated in the Abraham Lincoln spot. Interesting. Uh, Sakula, what's your next villain? I'm also going to pick uh, my Abraham Lincoln. And my Abraham Lincoln is also a Two-Face. Um, it is Telltale Two-Face from Telltale the Animated Series. A Telltale character almost made it onto mine. Nice. I like this. Aaron and I have been playing the Telltale games. We haven't made it through the second one yet. The first one is so good. I almost had Lady Arkham on my list because um, she's great. But uh, I had to pick Two-Face because this is my favorite version of Two-Face. I really goes, I was going to pick the Nolan version of Two-Face. Um, and then I thought about it and I was like, this one is by far my favorite. Um, I love how, first of all, the design. Um, it's got this beautiful mix of like the, like the uh, animated version and the, uh, like the, the grotesque Nolan version. It's clearly influenced by the Nolan version because he's disgusting looking and he's constantly bleeding on everything. But he also kind of has a cartoony look to him given like the nature of the, the game. But it also like, it, it's got that like purple kind of sheen to it where it like evokes the comic version, which is cool. His character is like so much more nuanced. Um, Harvey Dent in the Nolan movie, when he turns into Two-Face, when his face gets burned, like it is, it's not like a psychological thing. It's like a man who has been broken. Um, it's like, you know, he's still Harvey Dent. He's just pissed and evil now. Um, in 
Two-Face Batman, he is pissed and evil, but he also is like, there's this like uh, dissociative personality thing going on where there's another version of Harvey living in his body, and this version is Two-Face. And so Harvey doesn't want to be evil. He wants to be good. He wants to do good things. He wants to help Gotham. But this this other other personality of him in the back of his head is like slowly creeping in and taking over. And I think that's a really interesting way to look at the character. It, it makes it much more interesting. When you're playing through the game, it's like you, as Bruce Wayne, you have to make decisions uh, on, on two fronts. One, you are the person playing the game. You know that that's Two-Face and he's evil. Um, but you also know that that's Harvey Dent and he's your friend and he's supported you through so much and you guys have supported each other and you, could, you guys have been best friends forever and now he's turning evil and you have to like make this decision you have to feel the weight of like do i betray my friend i screwed it up i saved uh harvey dent so i never got like the two-face but he still turned evil and it was really awkward we did not do that. Uh, we saved Catwoman. We all have different playthroughs of the game. <laughs> you know what the, the funny part is, though? The reason we saved Catwoman was not like an altruistic thing or anything like that. It was literally like when we're playing through, Aaron makes the most unhinged decisions possible. Like that's just the way she plays. Were you guys friends with the Joker by the end of it? Yes. We're trying to get in her pants. We can't do that if she's dead. So get her. <laughs> Um, but you know, <laughs> unhinged decisions aside, you have to make decisions like where it's like, I care about my friend Harvey, who's a, a genuinely good person, but in this this like this alter ego in, in the back of his head is turning him evil, and I think that's really interesting. It's a it's a it's my favorite version of Two Face, and therefore I'm putting him on Abraham Lincoln. Uh, definitely a interesting pick for Two Face. I do like that the Telltale Batman games do a very good job of allowing you to kind of create your own world, like all these different outcomes. Like Josh was saying, he never got Two Face; he just got an evil Harvey Dent, and then you guys befriended the Joker. All that's fun, and it makes the the world of of Arkham feel very lived in it makes um the world of gotham feel very lived in i am also picking a two-face here and i am going with the more popular choice uh in my theodore roosevelt spot i'm going with two-face harvey dent from the dark knight Woo! i think that this is the best on-screen film batman villain we've gotten to date and i don't think that that's a hot take. I think everyone would put The Dark Knight as the top or close to the top of uh, live-action Batman movies. And uh, a lot of that, I do think, is the Joker. And I do acknowledge the fact that in a supporting villain role, uh, Heath Ledger knocks it out of the fucking park. But this movie was the introduction to the Joker in this universe. And the main villain in the main arc of this movie, all of all... all encompasses Harvey Dent. Granted, it doesn't have the uh, benefits that uh, the, the, the mediums of television shows or long-running animated series that are multiple se series and shows long and a video game does where you can really delve into the backstory, but they do such an effective job of setting up Aaron Eckhart uh, as Harvey Dent as this force of like law and order and this like really solid district attorney that no one really has a problem with who is doing everything he can on paper to uh, stop this criminal underbelly of Gotham. He's the perfect person. He's doing everything right. He has his enemies because mobsters don't like that he's he's 
shutting shit down. Uh, the first act of this movie, every time Harvey Dent's on screen, it's like, holy shit, I'm watching Law and Order. I, I think that Aaron Eckhart knocks this performance out of the park. And I, oh yeah, to me, it's it's the best thing about the entire trilogy is seeing the parallels between this White Knight of Gotham and everything that Bruce Wayne is doing under the under the behind the scenes to also help clean up this thing and the fact that they're like a yin and a yang is is awesome and it's one of my favorite things i love the scene the the no more dead cops scene where all the police are pissed and they're trying to figure out who batman is and then harvey just takes the fall he's like yeah i've been batman the whole time like it's so fucking cool it's so well done and the fact that it's done in such a short amount of time it's it's it blows my mind because by the by the time that the the first of four climaxes in this movie happens and harvey dent gets his face blown off and his girlfriend dies and he's in this weird triangle with love triangle with Bruce Wayne and doesn't even know it. It's crazy to me how good they handle him snapping and then him becoming this agent of chaos, uh, you know, provoked by the Joker to literally just go and do what he wanted to do from the beginning and get rid of all these fucking mobster ties that kill the people that wronged him. The only thing that I always thought sucked about his portrayal was the fact that we didn't get more of him where I think it's because of the time these movies came out where the Spider-Man movies just kill off the villain, you know? Same thing with, like, the Batman movies. So, like, when Scarecrow reappears at the beginning of The Dark Knight, I was kind of, like, shocked that I was like, oh, you know, especially, once again, in context at that time, you do a villain, then get rid of it. But Nolan, his movies are very withheld within the same film, and just have like little bits and pieces from the other ones come back. Nick from Scary Box and I were talking about uh, it would have been cool if they had Aaron Eckhart in the first movie as well. They didn't shoot uh, Katie Holmes's boyfriend in the first movie and he continued on and you saw that portrayal. But he just does the character so well. And our only other adaptation of this in live action is Tommy Lee Jones's version, which no fault to the guy, but the movie and the universe it lives in is just wild. The Dark Knight version of Two-Face is so real. It's relatable. And you're like, damn, you feel bad for him. Even when he's being Two-Face, when you know it's inevitably going to happen. You can see that he's broken. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree. It's, it's, I don't think, I, I feel like I was shitting on him before. I, I don't think it's a bad portrayal of Two-Face. Not my favorite, but it is definitely one of the pinnacles of Two-Face. He, he is very real, that's a great way to put it. Most of the reasons why I like the villains that I do my most wild one is still yet to come, by the way. Uh, the relationship between the the villain and Batman. And I think uh, both of your guys' versions of Harvey Dent that have been nominated already do a better job of tying into like the history of Bruce Wayne and being like long-term friends and seeing that arc. But doing that in, in such a condensed form and it's still being effective where these guys are on the same team and they're doing everything they're, they're striving toward the same goals but then when he snaps and and that breaks it, you you see a new version of Bruce after that too and that the final scene of the dark Knight where he has to save Commissioner Gordon's kid and all that shit is probably my favorite scene in the entire trilogy. Uh, and it has nothing to do with the Joker, who kind of steals the thunder away from that movie in a lot of ways, and, and rightfully so. It's a great performance, but the emotional crux of The Dark Knight, the best Batman movie, is Harvey Dent. Solid. No, absolutely solid. Josh, to you, brother. I'm about to cheat a little bit. My my next one is, is Superman 
from the Injustice video games. Aaron was literally trying to get me to pick Superman. Oh, Josh, what a great pick. Is that your Lincoln or Thomas Jefferson? It is my Abraham Lincoln. That's amazing. That's absolutely amazing. Because Superman should be Abraham Lincoln, a man of honor. But uh, instead... He's Hitler in this game, though. <laughs> it's wild. Like, So I, I say both games in, uh, in general because... There's a pivotal scene in Injustice 2 where uh, Superman and Batman are fighting, and I think he just found out Lois is pregnant, and one of the first people he told was Bruce. I could be totally butchering that, but I think that's what it was, or he was getting... Yeah, it's a flashback to the start of everything, right, in the second game? I forget, and it ended with Batman going, like, that was, like, a good memory, and, like, I don't think anyone has tested Batman's morals and beliefs like this version of Superman does in these Injustice games. Um, how that game starts, the first, going back to the first one, how that game starts is crazy. As uh, Spoilers, everyone knows this story. Uh, Joker gets killed by Superman when he's gone too far because Batman refuses to kill Joker. Like, it really makes not only the characters question the morals it makes like everybody question like is what is batman doing right it is who's really right on this but then they kind of make superman this uh this emperor of like power and kind of takes over like everything uh superman's like ruthless in this and as somebody who's like a fan of superman like in general like people think he's boring in that and i never saw superman as boring i he is like the always the good and like to do such a bold story where you turn superman bad like that at the time was very bold and now you have that zack snyder i think all of that was done like so well like it's so it would be so easy to screw that up and not only they did it for one game, I think the second game is also good, and it expands on what Superman is still thinking. Superman is a fucking prick in the second one. I know we're not talking about the comics, but that game and the comic line came out at the... Because the writers of the game made the comic. Yeah, I think it's fair to connect the comic, because it's the same continuity. Everything is just so perfect. Like... When that came out, because I couldn't get over I was like, oh, Mortal Kombat's doing a DC, like, original game. That storyline, when that came out, and as someone who watched the movie and was expecting the movie to not be that great, and it was not that great, the newest animated Injustice movie. Yeah, I still haven't seen it. It's not nearly as good, especially as that, like, first experience of you going through and playing the story mode of the game and being like, what?! <laughs> What just happened? That's such a good pick because like you were, there's always been that Batman versus Superman complex. And especially with the Dark Knight Returns in the 80s and um, in the 90s with the Batman versus Superman and always having them have these different arcs that where they kind of fight. They're also kind of friends and then creating Justice League together. And like what you said, um, there's some interviews with Zack Snyder talking about the inspiration from Injustice. And that was always what... I forgave uh, the Zack Snyder universe for where I was always like, oh, I think he's trying to build up to this almost alternate universe where everything does go bad. And like you were saying, this perfect version of Superman being evil is literally Bruce's nightmare come to life. And I think it's better than The Dark Knight Returns because that's also a comparison. Like, I, I think The Dark Knight Returns is great, but the super, I don't know, the it wasn't enough for me for, for to have that big fight like the uh the Superman versus Batman fight this felt 
way more personal and made a lot more sense why Superman would just lose his mind. And like the audience, you're you're going for Batman the whole time. I think the story kind of like it knows that Batman in culture is the favorite too. And I think it also takes advantage of that. What a great pick, Josh. Solid. So solid. Yeah, that was out there. That was a hot take, but I like the I like the case. Wait, I still I still have saved the best for last. Stay tuned. I think Nate does too, and it scares me. <laughs> Nate and I might have the same one. I'm a little afraid. <laughs> that is also my fear. That was my paranoia the whole time leading up to the list. Was yeah, nobody's had the same one yet. I'm going for my uh, Theodore Roosevelt pick, and I'm going to now place. Uh, at Theodore Roosevelt, Selena Kyle, Catwoman. There we go. From the DC Animated Universe. I had her in my honorable mentions, the one from the video game, the Arkham games. While I do agree, and I think that is such, like, honestly, probably the best portrayal of, like, comic booky Catwoman in media, Selena Kyle from the animated series, once again, was directly inspired from the Tim Burton universe. And so the continuity between them is just kind of lines up. Once again, they said not to, so Joker, Penguin and Catwoman, they would not show as their first origin showing them again. Like they just existed in that DC animated universe. And with that being said, the Selena Kyle that they drew was very different than how she ever looked in the comics. It was very Michelle Pfeiffer inspired. She had long blonde hair instead of the short black hair now. And what they do with her in this series is honestly one of the best versions of Catwoman that people really in my eyes, know of Catwoman. A lot of people always say, oh, well, Wonder Woman dates Superman and Catwoman and Batman, you know, that type of thing. But throughout, like, comic history, Wonder Woman and Bruce always had a thing going on. And then also Bruce was literally a playboy, had something with Talia, Vicky Vale, Catwoman, you know, all of them. He has all of these... um women in his life that to me the animated series was really that push for that like pinnacle version and especially when it was coming out in the comics um in the animated series she again reappears in batman beyond uh also being asked to kill terry's parents and catwoman's like the fuck are you talking about uh all of those things just add up to this version of selena kyle in Season 1, episode 35 of Batman the Animated Series is titled Almost Got Him. And the whole episode's about a bunch of rogues gallery of Batman saying how they almost caught Batman and giving different stories. And it's Harvey Dent, Joker, Penguin, and Killer Croc. It's a great episode. One of my favorites. At the very end of the episode, Batman, of course, fights all the villains, helps take them out. Catwoman's there. Um, He rescues Catwoman. And then at the very end, they share a kiss on top of the building, and it looks like the intro. And uh, she's, he's like, you know, someday everything will be fine and cool and whatever. And then Catwoman's like, and maybe someday we won't need the masks. And then Batman swings off into the night, and then she looks at the screen, and she's like, I almost got him. And the whole purpose of that episode is like, everybody always tries to get to Batman and never can, but... They really push that Catwoman-Batman love story, and I just think they do it so well throughout the animated series. Plus, it's Catwoman. 
Like, I agree with you, Josh, that the Arkham series, she's way more independent and definitely a better female portrayal of, like, a strong, powerful character. But starting back way back in 92 with this you're kind of like oh man this is this is cool this is what i want out of a batman catwoman story all right i know warner brother executives are listening to this podcast right now uh i have a pitch (laughs) (laughs) and it's for a sitcom set in gotham about uh uh bruce wayne and the many women within his life it's actually just a remake of seinfeld but it's uh you got Bruce Wayne as as the Seinfeld type. <laughs> What's the deal with all these villains? Kramer's just a really chill version of the Joker. <laughs> you know, they're just li- they're just in Gotham and like every few weeks J- Jerry aka Bruce has a new girlfriend and it's like one of these like female villains that clearly comes into his life, causes some chaos and then he moves on like abnormally quickly. <laughs> no no capes no no superhero, just the alter egos of all these all these characters in a in a uh, rom com sitcom. I'm talking two seasons. Uh, there's no overarching narrative, but it's just a sitcom. It's funny you say that because I think a few months ago, uh, DC created a partnership with Webtoon and released a bunch of these mini comics called Wayne Family Adventures. Oh, I've seen some of those. Bruce with all five or six of the Robins and Batgirls and just him and Alfred having to father them and deal with them and they're all so even Jason's there which is always funny to me because he's all like I'm still gonna murder everyone and (laughs) that should be what's made into your sitcom not to pull away from uh, Selena Kyle I do think this is a a good nomination here Uh, yeah I I think I think I prefer the Arkham version of the character more part Part of my favorite, like, like my favorite parts of those games is when you're playing as Catwoman. I think it's really, really well done. But I do dig this specific iteration because it does connect to other versions. And you have you have the villain element of her, but you also have the love interest part of her. It it encompasses everything. Uh, the DC animated universe is almost like cheating because the lore runs almost as deep as the comics do. But it's just one long canon and it's extremely well done. And the first of its type to do that like ah so good and the best to date they haven't been able to catch that lightning in a bottle a second time yet they're also able to do like great crossovers with the other shows too all because they were like let's get a bunch of these 20 year olds to just do a batman show that's slightly based off of what tim burton was created but make it animated and you could have just done anything but they were like let's make the greatest show that we can and once again it's a kids show and what they were able to do and get away with and create at the time and then it's still standing to this day ah perfection thank you spielberg now go make shrek Alrighty, alden so alden why is shrek one of your favorite uh batman villains well there's no reason for him not to be just like the joker ogres have layers i don't know if this one will work so I have a backup to um, I would like your opinion on if you consider this a Batman villain or not. But uh, in my Thomas Jefferson spot, I have um, a Dalek from the Lego Batman movie. No. A what? A Dalek. The, the little robot things from Doctor Who. The ones that are squid people living inside of... Uh... Oh. I, uh, what the fuck, Alden? I'll accept it if you have Condiment King with him. What's your, what's your alternate 
uh, option here because I'm not willing to discredit the Dalek. I am. Okay, that's fine. My backup is uh, calculator. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Dalek or calculator? We're voting for what Alden's putting here. My vote's with Dalek. I'll give him calculator because calculator's really. I'll give him calculator. He's in Batman Bad Blood. <laughs> All right, Alden, take it away. Who's calculator? He plugs his brain into a computer to give himself extra thinky. Okay, I, I picked Dalek if that's what that calculator is. What Johnny Depp does in uh, that movie, like a no oh, transcendent, yeah, sure. Transcendence? Except he doesn't have a terminal illness. That sells it even less for me. A Dalek it is. Calculator is an actual Batman villain. Does Eraser come with him? But Calculator's actually a good villain, guys. That's what I'm saying. Just trust me. <laughs> It counts more than a Doctor Who villain. He also appears in Batman Beyond. Yeah, no, so I, I personally really like the, the Brave and the Bold version because it's just some dude in a chair. Like some fat dude in a chair. I like some Brave and the Bold representation. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to remember. I know I've seen Brave and the Bold all the way through. That show's underrated. It's a Discord moderator. <laughs> it's a Discord mod. Yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, uh, give us the pitch here. Why Why is he one of the best Batman villains of all time? This is so cursed. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that Elon Musk is bringing us into the future that could create calculus. Uh, do you find Calculator relatable, Alden? Is <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but I do appreciate that he's kind of the the chair guy, the literally. As, as Ned would say, the guy in the chair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is Ned, but on the other side, he's a bad guy. Okay. If they ever do Calculator live action, it should be played by the dude who plays Ned. They did. I believe they did in the Arrow. Yes, in Arrow. Oh my god, what season was that? Oh, that's right. He was Felicity's dad. Yeah. <laughs> he was whose dad? Felicity Smoke. Oh my god. This is a horrible pick. Well, I didn't pick the Arrowverse version for a reason. I could have also picked Saruman or Voldemort. They're both villains in the movie. In the Lego Batman movie. That's cheating. Exactly. My favorite Batman movie. I thought I was cheating with Superman. <laughs> no, you have the best pick so far, comparatively, the dumbass over here. Well, I will speak to the validity of Calculator. I think there's a lot of the same love for this character as there is for, like, my Calendar Man, so to speak, whereas you're nominating him not necessarily for the specific iteration, but maybe the potential the character has uh, moving forward. I do think you could do an interesting Calculator arc, uh, I, I don't think I'd want to see it in, like, a major movie, but maybe in, like, an animated movie standalone thing, like Batman versus Neuralink or something. Like, that'd be cool. All right, Matt Reeves, if you're listening, the Batman 2 starring Calculator played by uh, Johnny Depp. Johnny Depp? I don't know if he'd work as Calculator. He did Transcendence. That doesn't qualify him. All right, uh, we're moving on to Sakula. What's your third Batman villain being nominated to your personal Mount Rushmore? So this one was really hard for me. Um, there's a lot of ones that I had in contention for this spot. Uh, Lady Arkham was going to go here. And then I was like, okay, but what about uh, Poison Ivy from the uh, Harley Quinn TV show? Oh, what a good version, too. I, I really love that. Um, but I'm going to do uh, slightly... Uh, unhinged take here uh -oh. while lady arkham is great i don't think she gets enough characterization and while i do like that version of poison ivy 
it isn't poison ivy like it is because it is but it's not uh she's just kind of uh a, a, like a character in a sitcom she's barely poison ivy she's more so just there uh, my unhinged take for my thomas jefferson position uh is uh harley quinn from uh the dceu basically so suicide squad the suicide squad all of her appearances uh birds of prey i guess you could count yeah, uh, I, I guess if you had to pick a definitive version, if we're not... Yeah, DCEU, because, like, it's the same character. While she doesn't directly fight Batman, um, I don't think that Harley Quinn is particularly known for fighting Batman. He does save her from drowning. It, Harley Quinn just kind of takes a back seat, so I figure I, I, I have a, a little bit of leeway here in pick... Because she is a Batman villain, but the version I'm picking doesn't directly fight Batman. This is the definitive casting and uh, portrayal of Harley Quinn on the big screen. Um, you know, she was introduced as Perolsky is aware in the animated series. And what a great addition. What a great new character with lots of nuance. Very cool. And the only way that we've ever seen that in live action is uh, uh, Margot Robbie's portrayal. She has depth, but she's also, uh, you know, quirky and weird. She's got that Deadpool quality to her, which some people hate. Um, I think it's, it's admirable, and I like the way that she does it. Um, my favorite is in the Suicide Squad where she's like just like the most fun, energetic character that gets like actual like 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 characterization. Like when she she uh, uh, is about to marry that dictator. She single handedly usurps an entire corrupt government by mistake. Yeah, yeah. That isn't fucking incredible. She does it though because not because like she wants to, but because she's like, oh wait a minute, I think I have bad taste in men. The red flag wasn't the dictator. It wasn't that he kills, like, just random people to remain in power. It's that he killed kids. That was her red flag, and she just wiped out half of the government. Fantastic portrayal. Every every appearance she has, I love the, the costuming, the makeup, her performance. Um, I think she deserves a spot on, on the Mount Rushmore just because of the cultural impact. I mean, shit, we haven't been able to go a Halloween since the first uh, Suicide Squad movie without seeing somebody putting on some Harley Quinn makeup. I mean, I almost did last year. Yeah, it really, it, and what you were saying, John, where the character development in The Suicide Squad comes in, where it's kind of like, to me, and not to drag in some Marvel character, but I always feel like Wanda was super under underutilized until she finally got her show, and then she got some character development, and then it was fine. You could take away from the three movies she's in, uh, the Birds of Prey movie as well, uh, having her in those movies, she is what makes all those movies watchable. Yeah, the best part. The Suicide Squads, I enjoyed that movie, but the the first Suicide Squad or whatever, I can't watch. And then Birds of Prey is, I, I enjoy scenes from it. Margot Robbie's portrayal of this character, like you said, is just so good. And I think it's just one of those lightnings in a bottle things where... Like when Hugh Jackman was casted as Wolverine or something. She does the same thing where it's, yeah, Hugh Jackman is Wolverine. Ryan Reynolds is Deadpool. Robert Downey Jr. is Iron Man. Like there is no other versions of these characters on the, on the big screen that are acceptable. Uh, and 
I don't know that we're ever going to get another live action Harley Quinn that's this good and this accurate. Like, who else do you think could possibly do what she just what she did in these? And it's like only one of the three movies she's in is like arguably good. The other two are absolute dog shit, but she's the best part of them. And there are parts like you said, there's parts of Birds of Prey that I really enjoy just because she's so charismatic and fun to watch. And even in the in, in the first Suicide Squad movie, it's it's a dog shit movie, but the scenes that she's in, she's she's fun to watch. Oh, I Tanya, <laughs> that's also a Harley Quinn movie. <laughs> I only wish one day that we will get uh, Harley Quinn and some version of Batman on the big screen together with Margot Robbie. We did in the in the first Suicide Squad, Batman punched her for two for two seconds. Batman stunt double, not even Ben Affleck. The Margot Robbie take on Harley Quinn is really good, mostly because the. I mean, the character was introduced in Batman the Animated Series, and there's a couple of really good episodes with that that character and, like, developing an arc and going into the relationship between her and the Joker. There's a few really great moments, but as a whole, that character's not ever really been something that's super fleshed out, but became a fan favorite. And I think uh, casting someone as competent in the film world as Margot Robbie, who's not only an incredible actress, but also a really talented producer, she brought so much to that specific role, was able to be a standout in, like, three movies varying in quality. Like, a really bad movie, a really forgettable movie, and then a great movie. She's a standout in all three of those. And I think it speaks a lot more to the current state of Hollywood than it does Batman lore. We can have a performance this good and this nuanced within three very different movies. The language of of film, uh, this is a great take. From the history of Batman villains, I think it's kind of wild. But I do hope that we do see a Batman versus this Harley Quinn at some point. I don't think it'll happen, but who knows? Warner Brothers doesn't, that's for sure. We'll probably get a Batgirl versus this version of Harley Quinn. That's true. I could see that happening. The day we get a good Batgirl will be the day that uh, we are all allowed to just, like, upload our brains into the metaverse. Batgirl was good in Batman and Robin, so I don't know what you're talking about. Um, all right, well, I'm going with my last nomination here, my George Washington pick. Uh, so far, the oldest performance on here to date. I think I did a good job in that regard. We are talking about Joker, played by Cesar Romaro in the 60s Batman series, the television series and the movie. Mustache Joker. I really wish you chose Riddler. I could see the take for Riddler. Um, but the reason why I picked this Joker specifically is... I think there's a big shift in what audiences expect from the Joker post Heath Ledger. And I don't think the Joker was ever meant to be this incredibly tortured and dark and gritty figure. I do think they get something incredibly nuanced and correct in The Dark Knight, and that is he's an agent of chaos. He's an anarchist. And I don't think there's been a portrayal of the Joker that is more of just a, a a wild card, so to speak, an absolute force of anarchy than Cesar Romero's Joker in the Batman series. <laughs> because this man is the exact polar opposite to Batman in every conceivable way. Batman is this, this crime-fighting detective, force of good. He's doing absolutely everything he can to raise uh, uh, Robin Wright, but also take care of, of Gotham and keep the streets clean. And Joker 
is literally just, he's like, I got a lot of money. I'm going to try to get all these like fun little get rich quick schemes. I'm going to challenge Batman to a surfboard competition. I'm going to hijack a helicopter. I'm going to try to dust the entire United Nations panel so I can control the world. <laughs> Whatever this guy's doing, it is sporadic. It is chaotic. And I think the animated series Joker does a good job of getting some of that too. But then they also feel the need to like add in this sort of complex lore and the dude's supposed to be a wild card and i think there's a plethora of batman villains that you can go into depth with whether it be a backstory that ties to growing up with bruce wayne or whether it be a complicated league of shadows connection there, there's a lot of characters that can have depth to them but for joker to work at his absolute best you don't need to know anything about him he needs to just straight up be wild. And this is the only wild Joker we've ever had and is my take on the best Joker we've seen on screen yet. Solid. I was too scared to pick this one. It was definitely on my short list. I, I love Cesar Romero's Joker. He's I grew not up with unhinged. He's not insane. He's not uh, a candidate for going into the Arkham Asylum. Now, if I wanted to pick a truly unhinged laughing madman from the same era josh is right the riddler is the riddler in the 60s show is closer to what the modern take of joker is now but this joker is essentially a lex luther type but has no actual end goal and is caked in makeup and this he didn't even bother to shave his mustache for this part like the they didn't want to playing, he was like fuck you guys it's so great <laughs> it would have been what uh, alden's harley quinn would have looked like where he just cakes white makeup on over his facial hair <laughs> and personally for me that that embodies everything that the joker wouldn't care the joker wouldn't uh have his face permanently dyed white like batman 89 joker where he has to put on normal looking makeup over top of it to just blend into society and at the same time he's not gonna cut his own face open with a knife and in paint these really edgelord scars on him specifically in contrast to the joaquin phoenix joker which i'm happy hasn't been nominated anywhere yet i'm really hoping it doesn't or jared leto the fact that you said that hurts my brain. I absolutely adore this this take on the Joker, and I hope we see more more like it. Uh, modern audiences would hate to see this Joker brought back in some capacity, but I personally would be very happy. He's the greatest Batman villain of all time, and he, there's a reason why the Joker is still culturally relevant today. And if it wasn't for this portrayal in this show so long ago, our grandparents wouldn't know who Batman is. <laughs> I mean, my grandparents don't because they're dead, but, you know, in, in theory. Good pick, Nate what heath ledger says i'm an agent of chaos it, that, that that's caesar romero's joker he's just the catalyst for so much bullshit in batman's life and this version of joker it makes sense why batman doesn't want to kill him he's just an inconvenience he's not uh <laughs> he's just annoying he's just a prankster sociopath psychotic madman who's killing his children he's just some fucking asshole <laughs> yeah uh, Josh, to you with your Thomas Jefferson. My Thomas Jefferson is a very famous Batman villain that everybody knows. That once you hear this name, you'll you'll know right away who it is. I am picking Max Shrek. Nice. <laughs> so Shrek did make it on the Mount Rushmore, Alden, um, from uh, Batman Returns. So why specifically? Batman Returns is my favorite Batman movie. And I needed a character from that. So I was like, all right, which one? Of course, the Penguin, Catwoman, both of those were in my mind. But I'm like, who's the mastermind? 
behind all this, though. The Foo Fighters! Played by the legendary Christopher Walken, an original character that Tim Byrne made that I completely respect, that Tim Byrne could have easily put in, like, like a comic book character. He's like, no. And he has this, like, A-list actor, Christopher Walken. Let's, let's, let's name him Max Shrek, and he's gonna be this complete prick that throws his secretaries out the window and, like, tries to convince a penguin to run for mayor. This man, if we want to talk about unhinged, this man is unhinged. <laughs> it's the perfect Tim Burton, like, creation and the, my favorite scene and the most memorable part is when it's super intense and Batman is trying to save Selina and he rips off the latex cowl and he's looking at him and then Max Shrek's like, Bruce Wayne is Batman? What I love about it is like, it fits so well into that Tim Burton universe. I'm so nervous for whatever they're going to do with Michael Keaton's character in The Flash and whatever they're going to do in that because I I really hope this whole universe doesn't get lost because I love that characters like Max Shrek can exist in this universe and still be incredibly fun to watch and like Max Shrek is great, super underrated, the top underrated character that I've said on here, a true mastermind behind the chaos that is Tim Burton from these movies that I love and I'm glad that the Tim Burton movies might become uh, more culturally relevant with the Flash movie. I am nervous but excited for the future of uh, what these movies will bring. The question I have for the Flash movies, like what is 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 only 89 going to be like canon or in the Tim Burton Flash is technically Val Kilmer and and Michael George Clooney. Yeah, George Clo- are those ones are those ones technically the same Batman or is it only 89? I'm not ruling out Arnold Arnold isn't in this movie. I'm not <laughs> ruling that out. <laughs> If Arnold appears as uh, as as a as a uh, uh, fucking Mr. Freeze, if Arnold appears as Mr. Freeze in the Flash movie, I am replacing uh, my uh, my Harley Quinn with him. <laughs> he's not good in 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 the movie he's in, but uh, I do love. I, I love Mr. Freeze. I was actually really trying to get Mr. Freeze on my list, but I couldn't find a version that I actually liked other than the one in Arkham, but he really only gets like a side mission or two. Like he's not The one in Arkham was in my honorable mentions. He was he was a tough consideration. Just not enough screen time. Um, Josh, have you seen uh View to a Kill, the James Bond movie with uh Christopher Walken as the villain? No, I haven't. <laughs> okay. He's very similar to Max Shrek. That's why I asked. <laughs> he kind of reprises his role in a way. I gotta watch that. <laughs> I love how ridiculous he looks, too. Like, they just put, like, they just saw Christopher Walken, like, let's just make him a Tim Burton character. Gave him, like, the Doc Brown hair. Yeah, he's got the white hair, the, the eye shadow. Like, this is just when you think of, like, a Tim Burton character, this is what would come up in your mind. Uh, the drip on him is great. The suits he wears. I love his, uh, the desk and his whole office area is great. Imagine if it was just Falcone. It easily could have just been Falcone. <laughs> That's what I love. Tim Burton was just like, nah. Nah. It's its own thing. All right, Peralski. I think, uh, what we were just talking about is pretty relevant to your George Washington. Let's hear it. So... Do you know what killed the dinosaurs? Oh my god. The Ice Age! No way! No way! No, I, I picked uh, the DC Animated Universe because I'm not insane like you people. <laughs> 
How dare you get my hopes up like that? Dr. Victor Freeze. He, he is beautiful and perfect. This boy's origin story dates back to the 60s, and he actually appears in one episode of the 60s Batman show. And back then, Mr. Freeze was literally this guy who had like a cooler as a backpack and would just shoot like freeze things and would go and rob banks. Not very cool. Not very, you know, he he wore a refrigerator on his head. Eh, lame. So when the animated series came about, they completely rewrote his origin story and created the Heart of Ice episode, which won a daytime Emmy. Um Back in the day, Mike Mignola, who created the Hellboy character, uh, is the one who actually redesigned Mr. Freeze for the animated series. And I think that design is kind of iconic. Like you, especially when you think of the title cards for Batman, the animated series, it just always comes to mind on Heart of Ice, you have the glass jar, but then... The other Mr. Freeze episodes, you just see his red eyes in the corner and his slight glass from the protection unit. This version of the character, they made such a tragic backstory. And as someone who likes Star Wars a lot, it's like this guy's Darth Vader. We could not have gotten through an episode of Duel with Peralski without mentioning Darth Vader or Star Wars at all. The way they have Mr. Freeze in this series, they made the whole backstory with his wife and everything that... She's dying of this cancer, and she was gonna die. So then they froze her until they found a cure. Uh, until they could find a cure. The animated universe's timeline of Mister Freeze gets a little wonky sometimes because the Sub Zero movie with Mister Freeze in it is—he's back to the same shit that he was kind of stopped from doing at the time. But he finally cures his wife. I grew up with that movie. What happens afterwards is this bitch leaves him and marries another man. Like, what? He spent all that time, did all that crime, you finally get saved, and then she just, she's like, alright, I'm gonna go get married to someone else, and then Mr. Freeze is all depressed again, so then he cuts his head off, and uh, becomes a robot, and then he's in Batman the Animated Series, but he does get redeemed again at the end, because after he gets all this cure and everything, he rebuilds the suit, and as a building's collapsing on him, he sacrifices himself so that Batman Beyond is able to escape in time, and he does get redeemed. I also think that Mr. Freeze, he's he's a recognizable character from whether that be the Arkham series or Arnold Schwarzenegger's version of him. He's a recognizable character, and many people's favorite episode of Batman the Animated Series is Heart of Ice because it's a tragic story told in such a good way. Uh, Yeah, he's just... He's perfect. He's a perfect Byronic hero because, like, in order to save the person he loved, he had to become a monster, and that's the reason why when she comes back to life, he does she doesn't love him anymore. It's it's great. It's something pulled out of like 1800s gothic literature and thrown into a Batman villain. The DCAU's uh, use of Victor Freeze was more consistent. He would have made my Mount Rushmore. I think that that episode is the best episode of that show, and is honestly like one of the best Batman villains put to screen. But like. Like you said, it's a little inconsistent for me personally. I also want to give a shout out to the Harley Quinn animated show because their version of Mr. Freeze, everybody thinks that he's kidnapped this lady and froze her and nobody believes him. And so they unfreeze her ass 
And she's like, my love, you found a cure. And then he's like, no, they thought I kidnapped you. And then he he sacrifices himself at the end of the episode using his blood to be able to actually cure her. And so then it's funny because throughout the next few seasons, Nora Freeze is just one of the girls now, not a super villain or anything, but she's always hanging out with Catwoman and Harley Quinn because they literally just went and killed Mr. Freeze for no reason when he was trying to find the cure. It's wild to me that the Harley Quinn animated show is a better Sex in the City reboot than the Sex in the City reboot. <laughs> <laughs> I actually really love the Harley Quinn show. It's it's pretty funny to me. It's not bad. Yeah, it's pretty entertaining. Which is a perfect segue into Alden's uh, Theodore Roosevelt. What do you got here? Um, for my Teddy Roosevelt, I feel like Poison Ivy might be a solid pick. Which one? Uma Thurman? Yeah, specifically Uma Thurman. Oh, I was kidding. Rubber lips. No, I'm not. She won a Razzie for that. I didn't know that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Just a fun fact. I mean, she was coming off the high of, like, Pulp Fiction and right before Kill Bill. I think she was nominated for an Academy Award the year before. So tell me why Uma Thurman's take on Poison Ivy is one of the greatest Batman villains of all time, Alden, because I could, I could see it. I feel like it was fairly unique, but also it was just the whole movie is weird. It's insane. And I feel like in terms of which characters stood out and which ones just kind of fell into the background, she stood out in this really weird script. I honestly kind of only pick uh, Batman and Robin version because of the meme, but also like I, I really appreciate her role. And I think that what Poison Ivy kind of does fits alongside Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, she does care about the environment. Pfft. Nice. That was my main reasoning for for her in this spot. Good job, Alden. Thank you for that, Alden. Uh, Sakula, the final nomination here. What is your George Washington or Joker? Jared Leto. I was between Joaquin Joker and another character. Um, I don't doubt it. <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's an insult or, or just a, a state on my character, but I don't know which one is worse. Uh-oh. I'm just busting your chops, kid. Here he comes. I know I invited you onto, your sh onto this show, but it wasn't to make fun of you, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna just say my- I'm just gonna give my honorable mention to Joaquin's Joker. Um, he couldn't make my list because A, he's not even confirmed to be in the Batman universe. He might as well just be his own character. He's barely the Joker. He, he's just a character to me that seems inspired by the Joker. I, I love the movie. Um, you know, it, I, I know that it, 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 it's got a lot of flack um, and it's got a lot of uh, uh, edgelords uh, identifying with this character, which is super upsetting. It's the same problem that like Rick and Morty has where it's like, it's like, you know, it doesn't matter about the quality of anything. It's like you, you can only see it through the lens of how like the fan base has interpreted uh, what they see on screen and it's like you don't get it you're just an edgelord and you want to identify with something alternative now why are you picking jared leto's joker <laughs> uh i would love to pick jared leto's joker if they had actually put any of his footage into the movie but my george washington pick is the arkham joker i think it's the most uh solid version of the joker i think that it's the most like 
uh, Joker Joker that exists. It is a little weird that um, for some reason his Jokerness is caused by some kind of blood disease that can be transferred to other people. That's a little weird. Well, he was thrown in the acid still. I'm actually shocked it took us this far for somebody to bring up a Mark Hamill Joker. I, I was I was between the animated Joker and and the DC Joker um, as far as like what I was actually gonna pick because I knew I wasn't gonna pick Joaquin's. I just wanted to mention him. The that version of the Joker, he's cunning, he's intelligent, he has that uh, rapport with Batman where he's like, you know, you complete me, we can't exist without each other, that whole thing, which kind of, like, defines the character. Like, there's only a few things that really define the Joker and everything else you can play with. That one is, is, is pretty integral to the character, and they really hit home with that. It does help that the Arkham Games Joker was written by Paul Dini, who wrote the animated series. Having that connection with the classic Batman animated series, boys, it's like, oh, it, it's it's fresh but familiar <laughs> exactly he feels classic um but he also feels like a, a new kind of sadistic like a like an m-rated sadistic that you couldn't have in the animated series and even in the like the 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 sequels where they he's dead but they use him as like this sort of like a uh like mind alternate to batman where he's just like in his head and fucking with him even long after his death it's 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 really powerful. The way they use him is really great. He seems like a formidable force. Um, you know, the Dark Knight Joker's fantastic. You know, we could sing his praises forever, but he, he is an unhinged character. Like, there, you, you don't know his motivations, and that's the point. Um, and you don't know the, the motivations, really, of the Joker in the Arkham series, but it is, like... It, there, it feels like there's a little bit more semblance of, like, he's got a plan. He is uh, conniving and cunning, uh, incredibly intelligent, but also absolutely unhinged. And, of course, you know, like you mentioned, he's voiced by Mark Hamill, which, t in my eyes, is the only voice of the Joker. You cannot have the Joker be the full Joker without it being voiced by, by Mark Hamill. If I've ever... Uh, in any of the Batman comics I've ever read, uh, I read it in Mark Hamill's voice. Like, I can hear that echo. The design of the character, which is not something we mention when we talk about the live-action ones other than maybe the casting, the design of the Joker is just purely iconic. It looks it ripped straight out of a comic screen. It's amazing. But now that you've said something about reading it in Mark Hamill's voice, I think I do too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I've never really noticed that I do. No, it's because it's his voice is the Joker's voice. And like we said with, um, like we said with, you know, Deadpool and Harley Quinn and and uh, uh, Wolverine and Iron Man, like these these are the characters. And and Mark Hamill is the Joker. I, I only wish that we could have gotten more of this version of the Joker. I think this is a good segue into finally doing our final four. And I think we need to have an all-out Joker debate to kick things off. I 100% agree. Only one Joker could be on this Mount Rushmore, and we have to decide it now. <laughs> Mr. Freeze is the better character. Miss, Mr. Freeze could still land on the Rushmore, but I think we're all in agreement a Joker... The Joker debate needs to happen, though. We have to pick a Joker. To go over the nominations here, in the George Washington spot, we do have four Jokers, so we are having a four-way debate for the best 
on-screen or adaptation of the Joker. We've got Cesar Romero's Joker from the 1960s Batman series. We've got Joker from Batman 89, played by Jack Nicholson. We've got Heath Ledger's take on the Joker from the Christopher Nolan, The Dark Knight. And we've got Joker from the Arkham series, voiced by Mark Hamill. What is the definitive Joker? What is the George Washington of Batman villains? Can I just say, since I didn't pick a Joker, I'm on Sekula's side. Since Sekula did just talk about it, I, the that version of the Joker also came on it, but came on my list. But the reason why it didn't because the Arkham version of Mark Hamill's Joker is not the best version of Mark Hamill's Joker. It's probably the third. It probably goes animated series, Return of the Joker, and then Arkham Joker. Return of the Joker's. Oh. Mark Hamill's Return of the Joker almost made mine. If it was here, this would be an incredibly different conversation. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick to my guns and still make a case that Jack Nicholson is the definitive Joker because of how iconic Batman 89 is. Nate talked about it with Cesar Romano, the influence, but without Jack Nicholson's uh, Joker, we would not have not only future Batman movies, but possibly future superhero movies. The, the cultural impact of that film itself is huge. Jack Nicholson's popularity, having him play a comic book villain, which we all know, especially currently, with Willem Dafoe being so excited to be back as Green Goblin, that back in the day, he fought for that role. I'm sure the reason why Willem Dafoe was excited to play Green Goblin in the first place is because of what Jack Nicholson did as the Joker a decade before that. Exactly. I think in the in the history of, of motion pictures, I think that Jack Nicholson stepping into that role is, is crucial to the success of this genre. I also think if we're talking about this spectrum of Jokers that we have, there's on the far left of just straight up insane, like not literally, but like absolutely no objective, just a cr- like just doing all the random shit. You have Cesar Romero's Joker. Then you have on the opposite end of this conniving uh, sociopath, psychopath with a, an objective and this master plan, you have the Arkham series Joker all the way on the right side. I think that both the uh, Heath Ledger Joker and Jack Nicholson Joker are somewhere in the middle there in terms of, of that range of that single character. I personally think in the context of this, my heart is also aligning with the Batman 89 Joker because I feel like he's true. He's a true middle ground of that representation. And while the story of that movie takes some liberties with the character, I do at one hand just feel like he's someone with an opportunity to stir some chaos and and shake things up. Uh, But at the same time, he doesn't seem to be a, a puppet master of sorts who's pulling all these strings and has this gigantic plan. And I personally don't think that that's what the Joker should be. The best time that I feel they've ever done that was in The Dark Knight, uh, where he's got all these moving pieces and is, a, you know, completely causing anarchy to Gotham. But I, I don't know. I, I feel like the Heath Ledger or the um, the Mark Hamill Joker, specifically in the Arkham series, not my favorite at all. I don't like his staying power after he's dead. I do agree it's interesting for Batman's dichotomy, but it's really weird when they bring him back and he's a fucking gigantic, super heavy villain. Like, what the fuck? It's so out there and not the Joker. Uh, my, my argument against that would be that he doesn't actually, like, act as a villain once he comes back. He more acts as, like, Batman's internal monologue. Um, like, because Batman knows that the Joker acts as, like, a, 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 the other half to him. They can't exist without each other. 
And I, I, I think that that's really cool because he really isn't even the Joker when he comes back. It, but the fact that they include him is really cool because it plays to the fact that he is the other half of Batman. And, 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 and like, it, it just hammers that even more home. He rides that line of like purely unhinged, but also absolutely brilliant, like tactician and, and, and like can do anything without anybody knowing and then create pure chaos. He also is, you know, your your unhinged pinnacle version of Joker. I think Batman 89 is fantastic. I love Jack Nicholson, but I think they take too many liberties with it to call it the George Washington of Jokers. I think that the Dark Knight version is amazing and that's the only other argument that I see that fights this one is that he 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 defined a generation of what we see as the Joker. Um, and then, you know, I love Cesar Romero. That's who I grew up with. Alden, where do you stand on this debate? Um, I'm kind of torn a little bit because since it is George Washington's spot, it's, it's kind of maybe it should go to the person who kicked all this off. A lot of people get compared, well, a lot of presidents get compared to George Washington for some reason. <laughs> Argue that uh, Heath Ledger's Joker in The Dark Knight is still a contender for this spot because of for sure how much any other joker that will ever exist is going to get compared to yeah joaquin phoenix and fucking jared leto both i i feel like they're just doing shittier heath ledger jokers i didn't feel that way with heath ledger to jack nicholson especially jared leto with the whatever dream sequence that was just a full ripoff. Oh, the recut scene for Snyder Cut you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you, but we're not talking about that. So, Cooley, you were very adamant that you were very against Nate's point that Caesar uh, Caesar's portrayal was uh, un- not unhinged. What it? Why were you so against that? It's not that it's not unhinged. It's that it, it, it doesn't... Um, you know, the, the idea that the Joker is more of a nuisance to Batman is a really interesting idea in the 60s uh, show, but it's not the, like, you know, and we're not talking about comics, we're talking about live action portrayals, but we kind of have to mention the comics if we're talking about characters and different versions of the characters. Joker is not a nuisance to Batman. Joker is the antithesis to Batman. That's who he is. That's who he's always been. He is the antithesis to what Batman stands for. Um, and he's always like the, 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 it's not really who he's always been though. That's very much a seventies on in the comics. He is the, the anti, the anti Batman in a lot of ways, but before that it's a little dicey. He is kind of just obnoxious. Cesar Romero represents the version of Batman or the version of the Joker per se before the Joker was fleshed out and given a character. Um, he was more of like, oh, goofy clown guy fights Batman. For the 60s, that works. But if we want to talk about how the cultural lexicon views the Joker, I, I could see the argument for 89. And I, I, the only other one that I really see as a real contender for this spot is the Dark Knight Joker. I think that the Arkham series exemplifies all all ranges of the spectrum as far as the Joker is concerned. I think that he, he touches on the parts of the Joker from the Dark Knight. I think he touches on the Batman 89 campiness. And even I think that in certain parts of the dialogue, like in certain quotes he has in the games, he does like, he does touch on the that 60s Batman Caesar Romero like campiness like it it really he really covers all of the bases as far as the Joker's concerned that's a good point he kind of is the most all-encompassing of these other Jokers because the other three are so very much a specific lane that you could take the Joker 
but the Arkham series Joker encompasses a little bit of all three of those, but in my opinion, doesn't excel in any of those three categories. I'd see that's where I disagree. I think that he excels at being the Joker, the definition of the Joker, the way that I, when I picture what the Joker is, I see the Batman Arkham Joker's face. My, my view of the Joker or my d- definition of him is like this guy who wears clown makeup and is almost unhinged but still a complete mastermind and that is jack nicholson's joker yes sounds like alden is siding with josh on this one sort of because there's a couple people that fit this and it's not it's not always what is shown like uh joaquin phoenix's joker is not a mastermind He's barely coasting along, and he kind of just gets lucky. True. Fucking stupid. That's why I didn't make my list. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, even though I appreciate his character, it's not what I think of as the Joker. It's not what I've seen from multiple representations. It's just not quite there. The thing is, I think the whole debate of what Joker should be and shouldn't be is fucking dumb. They're all adaptations. Adaptations take different routes. Just like the Batman character itself has taken different routes. Like the Adam West Batman, totally different than the Christian Bale Batman. The best Batman. (laughs) Exactly why I think that the Joker Markham series is is the best Joker. Because he, he doesn't take a specific route. He, he touches on all the notes, and he feels like the Joker through and through. There's no part of him that doesn't. But you chose the wrong version. The Arkham Joker is like this <laughs> dying, coughing Joker, kind of ugly to look at in Arkham City, I think is great. But if you told me the Joker, that is the animated series or Return of the Joker, Joker, you just chose the wrong one. And I think that's just going to hurt that debate of when it comes to what we're talking about, the definitive George Washington. I think Jack Nicholson's that first middle. There was a lot of there was a lot of controversy going into Batman 89 because a lot of people see the Adam West Batman as a negative. That's why when Michael Keaton got casted, they were like, oh, are we just doing another funny Batman? And that's why people had problems with it. it. Batman 89 totally changed the game, right? But it also has caused all this now every time there's a Batman being casted. There's so much dumb drama, and it's because of all these weird adaptations. So there is some negative to it. And I, that's why I think Jack Nicholson's like the perfect middle and also culturally relevant enough where it is still being talked about, where Michael Keaton is literally going to be in the cowl in a couple of months. I, I think Jack Nicholson's the perfect fit here for this George Washington. All right. We've got an odd number of panelists today, which means there are no ties. And I have a crazy new way to eliminate some jokers here oh man this is this is nate going full joker i'm gonna say it society what we're gonna do is we're gonna count down and everyone is going to say what joker they want eliminated from this discussion out of uh the 1960s batman joker batman 89 joker dark knight joker and the arkham series joker and we're gonna do this until we have one joker standing majority vote takes all so i'm scared john what joker do you want eliminated perolsky i should say 60s yeah okay Sakula, what Joker do you want eliminated? I'm sorry, Nate, but it's got to be Cesar Romero. 
It's okay. We're just all gonna get rid of him first. Alden, Josh, are you guys on the same wavelength here? No. I was gonna do Mark Hamill, so Joker. Oh, I was also going to pick Arkham series. Oh. Well, you're giving me a lot of power. Wait, did I just hear Dr. Freeze is gonna end up being George Washington anyway? Is that what I just heard? That's what I heard. I'm also eliminating the Arkham series Joker. Whoa! Oh. Sorry, buddies. What an upset. We've got Cesar Romero Joker, Heath Ledger Joker, and Jack Nicholson Joker. Perolsky, which one are you getting rid of? Cesar Romero again? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm assuming same to you, John. Yep, yeah. And uh, Alden, Josh, are we getting rid of Cesar Romero here? I could say Dark Knight's Joker. Rather not. I was going to say 89. I, I'm getting rid of my own my own nomination, and here we are. We're fighting the two normie Jokers head-to-head. -head. This is a debate. The typical picks. I would argue Mark Hamill would be in this debate right now. I don't think Jack Nicholson gets enough love anymore. You got rid of him! <laughs> He's made the point multiple times that it's the wrong version of him. I think between these two Jokers, I think the one that I like more is the Batman 89 Joker. I think the Dark Knight Joker is the better uh, villain in a movie and is a more influential character by today's standards. But I think as an overall portrayal of the joker i think 89 gets it more right personally i agree gonna go with my pick i uh, yeah i disagree too come on padowski the ball is in your court you have to fight between the two normie jokers which one is better you get the final say here it's a tie you know what you should go with what's a prequel to the animated series come on joker from 89 is a mafia member so he's perfect i want him wow Wow. We've got our jo we've got our Joker Washington. Now we need to place the Thomas Jefferson, the Abraham Lincoln, and the Theodore Roosevelt's here. In the Thomas Jefferson category, now necessarily doesn't need to be one of these, but Calendar Man from The Long Halloween, Max Shrek from Batman Returns, <laughs> the Phantasm from the uh, yeah, the animated universe, uh, Calculator from Brave and the Bold, and Harley Quinn from the DCEU were nominated in this spot. Personally, I think... My definition of this is someone on paper that you think knocked it out of the park, but there's just not enough there, or the execution wasn't perfect. That's how I kind of see the Thomas Jefferson spot, but we can go with whatever. What do you guys want to see here? Is it someone from the TJ category? Is it someone, a new face? What are we thinking here? Uh, John, if you want to, you could fight Mr. Freeze here because these characters kind of suck. It's funny you say that because if I had to pick between all of these characters, I would have picked pick Shrek. Yeah, I would I would agree with you. I, I, I would be climbing an even bigger battle than what I was with Jack Nicholson, but uh, fuck it. I don't think Harley Quinn is... Uh... Uh, to me, at least in context of this list, that portrayal of Harley Quinn is able to stand up there with the rest of these people we're putting up here. So I'm going to put Mr. Freeze here. <laughs> well, once again, the wrong Harley Quinn was chosen. The The Harley Quinn in the animated series was done perfect. We got her origin. Plus, she has a live action portrayal. Days of Our Lives. No, it's voiced by Arlene Sorkin. The original version is who Paul Dini based the character off of when she was playing a clown in Days of Our Lives. A soap opera. That's perfect. That's how we got Harley Quinn. I personally disagree. I think the Margot Robbie uh, uh, portrayal of Harley Quinn elevates from what the animated series set up, personally. What does it elevate? 
nothing because she's in three okay movies. If she, if it's Elving that she's a strong, independent woman, which I see the argument, but the Harley Quinn show does that better. Well, yeah. The Harley Quinn show, like Nate said, is a Sex in the City reboot. Like, it's good, but it's not a Batman villain. Her breakup with Joker in the Harley Quinn show was a lot better than Birds of Prey. Where's my goddamn electric car, Bruce? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm kind of between like a Red Hood or a Dr. Freeze here, if I'm being quite honest. Dr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze. Dr. Freeze might be a good enough just straight up spot here. I, I think everyone has a lot of appreciation for that character, but I'm trying to think of who's going to get eliminated from for good if we if we make this unanimous decision now. Every All the characters in the Thomas Jefferson spot could just get eliminated. <laughs> I'm fine with that. I don't love any of those. My The one I have the m deepest attachment to is the Calendar Man one, but that's all on premise, and it's not on the execution itself. I think Max Shrek's execution's good, but he's also not well-known enough. Like, I'm, I know I'm debating against myself right now, but that's how I'm seeing it. Yeah, but his character is really funny. It is. Like, Christopher Walken himself is iconic. Like, if you know, you know. It's him. Like, you know it's a Christopher Walken, yeah. That character's kind of like a giant inside joke in, I feel like, the Batman film community. Like, I'm sure if I asked my father, like, right now, hey, do you remember when Christopher Walken was in a Batman movie? He'd be like, what are you, what are you talking about? Bruce Wayne is the Batman? I want to fight for Harley Quinn here, but I, I'm, I'm going to put my camp in Peralski's camp of, 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 of uh, Victor Freeze. I really think that he should have gotten a better portrayal in, in literally every form of media. Um, but this is the by far the best one, and if and if uh, Mr. Freeze doesn't make it into this main Rushmore, I think that that would be criminal. So this is that's 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 my stance. Thank you. I want to I want to fight for Harley Quinn here, and I think that she deserves at least an honorable mention because like the, I I don't think that she's getting enough respect in this in this uh, debate. Doctor Freeze is very good, and uh, he he deserves the Thomas Jefferson spot because. I think that the Thomas Jefferson, when I think of Thomas Jefferson, I, like, I, I think somebody said this already, I think of good ideas executed poorly. That's, that's Dr. Freeze for me, just as a whole, as far as any, like, portrayal of him in any media is concerned, good ideas executed poorly. Beauty. All right. Sounds like we've got our Thomas Jefferson and Dr. Victor Freeze. Mr. Freeze. So now we're between the Abraham Lincoln and the Theodore Roosevelt spots. And another pattern that I'm seeing is multiple Two-Face slash Harvey Dent's nominated. Yeah. And I'm also seeing a lot of characters that have a personal relationship with Batman outside of the the alter ego there as well. So I'm, I'm, seeing, I'm seeing Red Hood. I'm seeing uh, Superman. I'm seeing Selena Kyle. This is a big one. It's got a lot of heavy hitters. My thing is Harvey Dent being on this list multiple times it goes to show like harvey dent is a such a good character he's in whatever portrayal even in the dark knight where i don't think they build up the bruce wayne and harvey relationship as much as other portrayals like the telltale series or and the animated series or the comic anything really even in the tommy lee jones portrayal of it he's still he was friends with bruce before he became two-face and so i just think harvey dent it'd be criminal if he's not on the rushmore of batman villains i agree whatever version it may be i do think a version of harvey dent should be on here harvey dent's thing is like 
he has this like friendship with Bruce in the Telltale ones. I'm going to try to compare video game to video game here, which might give me the dub. Uh, in Injustice, the characterization of Superman and Batman's relationship and that whole thing. I mean, where you're, Batman's literally testing his morals in that. And I think Harvey Dent's has done really well, but at the same time, it is limited to that to the telltale aspect because there's so many other plots going on in that game. The Batman-Superman arc in Injustice games, that is the main arc. That is, that is what shifted the entire DC universe in that timeline. And the DCEU, debatably, what Zack Snyder seemed to be taking a lot of influence by. Yeah, what probably would have been the second in, in Justice League movie probably would have been an Injustice movie. I, 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 see where, I see where you're coming from, Josh. I got you, bro. Yeah, I'm also feeling like Superman might be more of a Theodore Roosevelt pick here. Uh, I'm just thinking in terms of our of our Mount Rushmore. I, I do feel like there's going to have to be one that's deeply out of pocket. That's true. Yeah, I kind of I'm with John in terms of with the fact that three Harvey Dents got nominated. I'm with Peralski. I feel like one of them should be on here in the same way that one of the Jokers made it on. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, what's the third Harvey Dent? We got Two-Face from The Dark Knight. We've got Harvey Dent from the uh, DC Animated Universe. And we've got Two-Face from the Telltale Batman. I forgot about the animated. The animated one is good, too. I like all these Harvey Dents. <laughs> That's the thing. Harvey Dent's a good character. Even Tommy Lee Jones's portrayal, like... It's him being crazy. He reminds me of Riddler from the 60s. The story that they used for that Harvey Dent is the comic accurate story. And once again, there's this whole scene where it's uh, uh, Val Kilmer talking to him. And he's like, we used to be friends, Bruce. And getting all, you know, talking about that stuff. It, the age difference is kind of weird in that movie, though. The only thing about it is... The most interesting stuff about Harvey Dent is pre-Two-Face. Once he becomes the villain, he kind of just becomes the standard Batman villain. I mean, dependable on which portrayal. That's why I think why the Telltale Batman encompasses those things, because you do you get so much. Like, that's the, what I don't like about the uh, Nolan Batman, is you, you don't get enough of their relationship before he becomes Two-Face. Like, you get a lot of great Harvey Dent stuff, where Harvey Dent is just a great character, and he's... And then he just kind of falls off a building. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. Two-Face Two and Telltale Batman, you have so much characterization between him and Bruce Wayne. They are best friends. I will say in The Dark Knight, that scene where he shoots Batman, like, I remember the theater, I, like, jumped. Yeah, it, it happened so perfectly. Like, the way he falls, too, like, I'm like, wait a minute. <laughs> I think it's wild that Tim Burton, of all people, had the foresight to put Harvey Dent in the first movie in his Batman series, and Christopher Nolan did not, because I think that I would be able to make a stronger case for Two-Face here if that bizarre love triangle between uh, Bruce Wayne, Rachel, and fucking Harvey Dent was established in Batman Begins to some capacity, and we got to see uh, scenes with Bruce Wayne and Harvey Dent before the events of The Dark Knight, but that's something that didn't happen, and probably should have happened, and there is, there is not enough Harvey Dent to Two-Face in that portrayal to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the uh, animated universe and Telltales as well. I think going between the animated universe's take on Harvey Dent and uh, Telltales, uh, those iterations specifically, I think that the animated like show did such a good job of doing the Two-Face 
uh, origin, but then does all these, like, weird to watch in context of that show, but it's done very, very well. Whereas in the Telltale games, it depends on what choices you're taking, how much of a backstory you're even getting with that character. Because if you don't care about that relationship early on, you're not getting a ton of depth. He's going to go evil a lot quicker, and then you get rid of him pretty quick. Like I, I agree, but the writing is there. It still exists. Like It's not like... I, I think that the, 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 the choice part of it is a little bit of a, a like a it kind of throws off of the argument because it's like the writing is there and I, I think it's a it's a, a virtue and, and and it's like a double-edged sword of the fact that it's a, a choice-based game it's like if if you do make the right deso- decisions to like have this relationship with Harvey Dent like you could if you make the decisions you could be like fuck you Harvey I'm not helping you like you could have that but it does exist it is there and I think that if we're going to argue the different the versions of Two-Face we should go off of if you're making the decisions to give a shit about his character because as 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 fans we do we do care about his character so we would if we want to argue the best version of two-face if we're talking about telltale we would make the decisions to give a shit about harvey i was just bringing it up because in their narrative presentations they're both flawed to some capacity if you're not looking specifically for that yeah yeah i don't know where do where do you guys lean between the two the two dents i think Personally, if I had to pick one, I'm picking the animated series. Me as well. It's tough. I I think I gotta go with the animated series as much as I love Aaron Heckhart's betrayal. And and I do like the Telltale ones. Uh, I feel like I'm gonna lose on this, but I'm gonna stick to my guns. I think the Telltale Batman is the pinnacle version of Two-Face. I think I might default, because I don't know much about the Telltale version of it. It's three to two anyway, I think. Well, then I'll be against it. Let's go look at that two dc animated universe things i was about to say padowski's got two on the board what's going on here we're not doing a third dc animated universe here yeah i agree (laughs) i want to hear passion debates i want everyone to nominate one of their four that they nominated earlier in this spot and whoever can present the best argument as i think who we should go with josh you've been making one hell of a case for superman i'm gonna default back to my red hood John, you're you're out of the fucking running. You already got John. Take my take my pick up uh, from Bane from the Dark Knight Rises. <laughs> All right, Peralski side with me. Penguin Batman Returns, best version of Penguin. The problem is, you guys know me. I'm going to go with a, something that's animated. I want to call you a weeb, but it doesn't fit. He's not a weeb. He's a monster. I think Nate knows that I I'd side with him here. I do. Deep down. But, Sakula, if you want to make one last push for Harley Quinn or Penguin, this is the time. Uh, Alden, if you want to see Calculator or Ratcatcher on this list, let's hear it. I don't think that Harley Quinn is going to get accepted by this panel, no matter how much I fight for her. I, I think that the strongest chance I have is Penguin and Batman Returns. As much as I think that Harley Quinn is, in DCEU, is the best portrayal of Harley Quinn and has the most emotional depth and is the best, like, performance of a Harley Quinn... I don't think she's going to get play in this panel, so... I know she's animated, though, but, like, it's hard to not talk about Catwoman here, also. Your argument about Superman... My point is, though, the argument about Superman, Harvey Dent, and Catwoman are all kind of the same argument. Superman is such a bold pick, though. It's the only, like, really controversial one left unless Alden's calculator makes a run. I mean, I'll throw in Condiment King as yet another one. Uh, You might have my vote, then. If you're just looking at the rogues gallery (laughs) of Rushmore and you're like, damn. And then it's just freaking Superman right there and you're like... 
ah, Batman's most famous villain, Superman. <laughs> See, that feels wrong to me. That's For our generation, Batman's most famous, one of his most famous villain is Superman. The Injustice game was huge for us growing up. And the Dark Knight Returns movie and the Batman v Superman movie. Yeah, like culturally, Superman versus Batman was just for some reason really huge for us growing up and i think that's the reason it, it's a good thing and a bad thing because the whole superman is boring thing also came from that era i don't know i i think it it brought an interesting angle superman isn't in batman's rogues gallery he's in our cultural lexicon of he has fought batman many times in the things that we've seen come out in the past many years but I don't think that he is a villain or a Batman villain. Listen, it was going to be Superman or a Batgirl villain I was going to put here. I also don't really think that Red Hood fits within the context of the Batman rogues gallery either. He's a former ally turned anti-hero who definitely doesn't align with any of the heroes. It's not like he would team up with Poison Ivy to try to stop Batman or anything like that. He's, te he's teamed up with the Bat family more than he's teamed up with villains. And especially in modern context of him and comic book portrayal he's just part of the team it's either him with the outlaws which is basically a new version of teen titans we're gonna get that arkham knights game at some point and he's a a hero in it i guess oh yeah he's one of the brothers of you know all the robins so it's like in nate's defense red hood in context of that movie it's a great movie whether we want to mention this Selena Kyle or I mean the Harvey Dent case has already been made but a character that has deep roots and ties to both Bruce Wayne and Batman Red Hood's probably the strongest one left because Jason Todd was in a way Bat uh, Bruce Wayne's adopted son for a second time and has this extremely emotionally difficult falling uh, like like falling out with him dies and then comes back and can't see eye to eye with someone he used to idolize. I, I think in terms of like world consequences, obviously the relationship between Batman and Superman is kind of the turning point in DC, no matter where you're looking at it, whether it's them forming the Justice League or fighting amongst each other and creating an injustice situation. I, I mean, those are probably two of the most important relationships that Batman has that aren't with a, uh, a female. Also, it was Batman's first big fail. Like, I know Killing Joke came out the same year, months later and about the same year. The thing was with killing off Robin was this is coming from the mindset of the 60s Batman where Dick Grayson, you know, he's just a fun guy. And then when you hop into this movie and Dick Grayson's Nightwing and you see that him and Bruce have a really, really good relationship, unlike in DC's Titans, <laughs> <laughs> you see with Nightwing in this portrayal of the, of the film, you see that Bruce made it work. And so I think that in this movie, when it hits so much harder, when Jason Todd dies, who, by the way, the young version of Jason was voiced by Phineas from Phineas and Ferb, and the young, young version of him was Phineas's little brother. I, I just thought that was interesting. But I, I the, um, the way you see Batman in the Red Hood is you truly see him fail, and I feel like you don't, unlike other movies or whatnot and damn it i just realized that josh's argument for superman got stronger because you see batman fail yeah i was about to say if we want to talk about batman's biggest failures the yeah i want it's cool to bring back penguin here too i was gonna bring back uh bane from the dark knight rises 
I think that that's an incredible portrayal of Bane. I think that he's a really formidable villain. He actually... Batman doesn't quite fail, per se, but he does fail because he gets defeated. Oh, he does fail. Yeah, like, he, he, he gets defeated by somebody, and he, he does have to rise back from that and come back from that and save the entire city from uh, what is basically a complete... Uh, uh, <laughs> like takeover of the entire city honorable mention to penguin for batman returns but if i'm if i'm switching my anything to anything i'm fighting for bane from dark knight rises the fact that he hasn't gotten as much play in this fight is upsetting to me it's true we don't have any physically uh dominant uh villains yet no like none of these guys could beat the shit out of batman with just their fists so far exactly bane could and he did i would love to see penguin fist fight batman though but I'm going to bring up a point to John, back to the whole Red Hood thing. Even if we're talking about Batman's biggest failures with a Robin, I would argue Return of the Joker did that the best. See, the thing is, they weren't allowed to use Jason Todd in the animated series, so Tim Drake's origin in the animated series. And it worked better. More of a Jason Todd origin, and they do that weird version of it, and in Return of the Joker, you're exactly right, where Joker comes back to haunt him. It's so good. It'd be cool if there was like an amalgamation of the Under the Red Hood storyline with the Return of the Joker storyline, which is what Arkham Knight tried to do, because in Arkham Knight, the whole blood thing, John, that they have that transfers like the Joker's mentality and everything over, that's based off of what they did in Batman Beyond for Return of the Joker, how Joker creates the chip. And I've always loved that, even though Paul Dini left to not work on the Arkham Knight script. To me, I feel like that is definitely where that influence had to have come from. Is it's the, It plays out the same way that Return of the Joker does, and I love it so much. I want Under the Red Hood here, but... I'm a Nate Stan. I mean, I'm a uh, uh, animated Stan. I'm a Nate Stan. If anybody wants to fight with me for Penguin, I'm here for that. But otherwise, I'm picking Bane here. I think out of all the villains left, when it comes to design alone, the Penguin is the most like creative. Especially that version, hands and everything. Like that was the first time that happened. His performance is so unique. It's it's something that we haven't even like seen before or since, as far as like even any Batman villains are concerned. It's such like a weird, strange version of a character. I I just love the Penguin from Batman Returns. I also love in context of Danny DeVito's acting at the time. Like he was doing, you know, he was doing funny roles and whatnot. But then he does this shit, and then Always Sunny in Philadelphia is basically him acting like Penguin. Just he's literally like Republican Penguin. I will, I will, <laughs> I will say though, it is so weird to not have a woman on here. Like that, like that, like Bruce Wayne is like a playboy, and like I know she's not on here, but Talia Al Ghul, uh, like so many of them are like these anti-heroes, but like Catwoman is. That is the one that, like, that is a reason why we have had multiple Catwoman adaptations the past, like, 20 years. I'm so excited for Zoe Kravitz, bro. Same. This is the first time we, we're going to have the Penguin in, like, 30-some years on film. Not 30-some, 20-some years on film. And Catwoman, we've had multiple times. There's a reason. Like, if we're going to start, like, knocking these villains out, like, I, I think I know it's from the animated series, but it's just really weird to not have Catwoman in this conversation. <laughs> 
Catwoman's barely a villain, though. Like, she, she rides that line so hard, but she always leans towards the hero role. Like, she does things unorthodox. But I love the simplicity of it, though. She's just a cat burglar. Not everything Batman does has to be, like, this end-of-the-world or end-of-Gotham-like mentality. Like, we forget that this guy does this shit every day. And I think one of those villains that he has to deal with, maybe on a weekly or monthly basis... I think says a lot too. It especially like in a continuous show and like it just like I know in film like the plots need to be bigger and but Catwoman even in the movies like uh still did little things like in The Dark Knight Rises she stole uh, his mother's pearls and stuff like that. I love that introduction to Catwoman in that movie. She's not a villain. Like she is, but she does villainous things, but she's not in his rogues gallery. She's most definitely in his rogues gallery. Barely. Barely. She's mostly on his side most of the time. Like she has straight up portrayed him multiple times i think it's weird that we've had what three on-screen like live action selena kyle's more than any character besides joker and i would say there's still not a definitive one yep i agree and i think that that speaks volumes to how much like the joker there's so many different ways you can take that character and uh, the relationship between Bruce and how often she's betraying and the, the chemistry between them de determines all of that. When she's introduced in the in Batman Returns, it, it's pretty much like she's just getting a typical villain set up and Batman's attracted to her. That that's that's very, very different than Selena Kyle in the animated series. Thankfully, no one nominated it. But in The Dark Knight Rises as well, like that, that's not how that character is portrayed or set up or anything like that. So I, I think Selena Kyle is probably the one of the strongest Batman characters. But I don't think we've seen the definitive version of that. The closest version is the animated shows. But we're not there yet. We aren't. Like, it, it hasn't happened yet, and I hope it is happening soon. With Zoe Kravitz, she looks like she's ripped right out of the year one comic. Like, what everything I've seen clip-wise, the way she talks, the way she... It, it looks like how they're going to have her character act in a certain way. And then the way she looks, I'm like, this literally looks like year one. I mean, that's what the movie's based off of. Well, it's the second year of Batman in the movie, sir. I know. I know what happens in the prequel novel. And I hope that they don't end the movie with Zoe Kravitz just leaving like she does in year one and then, quote, never coming back. And I'd be like, what? And in Telltale, she does that same stupid thing. She just leaves. She does. And I'm like, why? <laughs> you can't avoid that. <laughs> I like her in Telltale. I was going to pick her, but then I, I, you know, she does just leave. So fuck that. And whatever path you take, you can't change it. She leaves no matter what. So it's like, damn. If the argument is to pick a woman for our Teddy Roosevelt spot, it should be Harley Quinn. Uh, just based on this list, just based on what we have here. The only other one I could see is uh, Red Hood. But even then, I feel like that's uh, he, he's a great character. I don't think that he's strong enough to be on uh, the, the Mount Rushmore. I agree. I don't think he has enough arcs with Batman as a villain to really warrant a spot on the Mount Rushmore. But for me, the one arc he does have as a villain is one of the all-time strongest for me. I pick Under the Red Hood. Alden, where of these that are left, which one do you think belongs in the Theodore Roosevelt spot? Actually, I, I think I am on the side of Harley Quinn here. Um, the fact that I've met people whose parents named them Harley Quinn is insane. I was about to say, like, Kevin Smith. Like, I just, 
The cultural impact of the character was already pretty big, and then when Margot Robbie showed up with it, uh, it, it skyrocketed. So I feel like if we want to have proper representation of Batman villains, she has to be on here, and since it's at the last spot, I'm going to stand in the on her side. I'm sticking with Alden on this one. I think from a cultural standpoint, if you were to ask any person right now to name three Batman villains, I do think Harley Quinn would be mentioned just because that character's oversaturated as all be whether it be these three you know varying quality of movies and animated series and uh i i just feel like the fact that people are dressing up as this character for halloween is the reason why the dark knight joker is so popular i i could see the case I, 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 i'm gonna make padowski make a impulse decision because i'm gonna vote catwoman for the hopes that zoe kravitz and future adaptations could make that character even bigger because i think that character does deserve to have representation i can't believe that movie is coming out so soon i'm so excited we're between Harley Quinn, Selena Kyle, and Superman. <laughs> Two have been voted for Harley Quinn. It would be funny to have Superman, but it's just, it doesn't feel right. I agree, Alden. <laughs> I'm going to pick Selena Kyle, but I didn't want to DCAU. I wanted Under the Red Hood. I just wanted everybody to know this. I wanted... Nate's got to make the decision. I think, then, if it's between... The animated universe's take on Selena Kyle, she's probably one of my favorite characters from that show, and I guess multiple shows, versus the DCEU's take on Harley Quinn. From a Mount Rushmore standpoint, I don't think we're ever going to get a better Harley Quinn than the one that's in movies and right now. I think there is so much potential for Selena Kyle to be brought to the screen. Of all the characters to do a spin-off show about, Selena Kyle's probably near the top of that damn list. Make a Catwoman TV series. So Halle Berry's Catwoman movie, it's not canon to anything, but it, it is the DC Catwoman is what it's supposed to be based off of. Even though she's not Selena Kyle, her name's Precious, like a cat, which is weird. But uh, <laughs> so that exists. And also Catwoman Hunted just came out, which I was very excited for a new animated movie. Fucking blows. It was awful. So uh, Catwoman was also just in Long Halloween. Thought she was really good in that. But that voice actress died. So that also blows. A lot of cursed stuff happening right now with the DC universe. Between these two, specifically, I have to cast my vote for Harley Quinn. And it's 100% credit to Margot Robbie and none of the writing staff. That's for sure. Especially when you watch the Suicide Squad compared to the other movies. Like, she's so fleshed out in that movie did nate and alden not get a pick on the mount rushmore i didn't expect me to get him i thought nate was gonna get a pick heath ledger yeah heath ledger was a solid pick but the others i this is disappointing j names only on the mount rushmore thank you when you think of these movies you always think this whole point was looking at the different portrayals of characters i do love troy baker as the joker as well i think he does a really good version and then I also really like uh, John DiMaggio plays uh, uh, Joker in Under the Red Hood. Yeah, I think I think John DiMaggio in Under the Red Hood is one of my favorite takes on the Joker. I think it's scary good, actually. Um, I think John DiMaggio should not get replaced as Bender in the Hulu picked up Futurama series. They're just trying to they're just trying to strong arm him out of a contract. They're not going to replace him. They yeah, he's saying that that's not enough. No, they sent out a casting call. 
they are running auditions for Bender. Alden, I think you should audition. He's the one who doesn't want to play Bender, though, because they're taking away from the integrity of the character that he's created, and he's disagreeing with... Yeah, the rest of the cast has already signed on and can't really say much about it, but, like, his contract was bad. All right, everyone. Well, thank you for listening to Five Nerds uh, talk about Batman villains for three hours. Here is our group Mount Rushmore. The George Washington spot is Jack Nicholson's portrayal of Joker in Batman 1989. In the Thomas Jefferson spot, we have Dr. Victor Freeze from the uh, DC Animated Universe. In the Abraham Lincoln spot, we've got Harvey Dent slash Two-Face from the DC Animated Universe. And in the Theodore Roosevelt spot, we do have Margot Robbie's take on Harley Quinn, a DC uh, uh, extended universe. This is the definitive Batman rogues gallery. Uh, thank you, Peralski, for joining us. Sakula, your voice was definitely heard this episode. Uh, Josh and Alden, uh, we got to build a Batman next week. Check out the scary box. Scary box. Nicholas Alexander. Links in the description. <laughs> Beauty.